Ramble. In the summer, I get DoorDash almost every single day because it's just so convenient. I don't really need to spend hours of my day grocery shopping and then cooking in 100-degree humid weather. I want to be outside and I want to read a book by the pool. But I also don't want to break the bank and takeout can add up real quick. That's why every summer I sign up for the Dash Pass. Starting now until July 24th, you can get insane deals on DoorDash if you have the Dash Pass. The Dash Pass gives you access to exclusive items and discounts at your favorite restaurants, grocery stores, and even retail shops. I use the Dash Pass almost every day to order from my favorite smoothie place. There's nothing better than a cold, refreshing drink by the pool on a summer day. With the Dash Pass, you can get access to member-only deals on hot wings to ice cream and everything in between now through July 24th. Get the best deal and exclusive items from your favorite brands like Taco Bell, Popeyes, and Ulta Beauty. Sign up for Dash Pass now if you aren't already a member and enjoy a summer full of savings. Dash Pass benefits apply only to eligible orders. Terms apply. Bada bing, bada boom. Ooh, that one was good. This is like his fifth one. Hi, welcome to this week's main podcast. We're talking about Robert Willie Picton, and I'm really glad to be doing this podcast in the sense that I have been through this for the past couple of weeks now. Just, I mean, this monster of a book that I read, I reread so many of the chapters that I would comfortably say that I probably read this book twice in the past couple of weeks. I watched a documentary. I mean, I sat there and really immersed myself into the picked in life and I never want to go there again. So the book in question is On the Farm, Robert William Pictum and the Tragic Story of the Vancouver's Missing Woman by Stevie Cameron, who is this amazing investigative journalist in Canada who wrote this, I think it's like a 700 page book about the Pictons, about the Picton farm, the pig farmer, the serial killer in Canada that was caught in 2002. Just absolute chaos. And I will say that the book itself is kind of confusing because I mean, the case is confusing. So we've got this really chaotic pig farmer, and he is an active serial killer. We've got a ton of sex workers going missing in Vancouver. A ton of them are indigenous, which then calls into the question of why are there so many indigenous women going missing all across the world, specifically a lot in Canada, and the police don't do anything about it. So there's just so many different things happening. We've got an inner police struggle, and then we have like 700 pigs who feast on human remains. So... Yeah, for the past couple of weeks, I sat here thinking, how am I going to tell this story in a way that makes sense? Because even in my head, I still can't wrap my head around how, like, what, what are we, what, what's happening? So we're just going to get started. It actually starts in February 23rd of 1995, and it will be seven years before the case gets solved. There was a handyman who decided that he was going to get water from a local river. He's like working on some construction sites, and he's like, you know what? I'm thirsty. So he grabs this water bottle, and he starts walking down the highway, gets off, drops into the ravine, and at the local river, he's about to put water into his water bottle. I don't know how sanitary that is, but maybe Canada's like rivers are a little bit different. Maybe they're cleaner than here. (laughs) And so he has this little water bottle and he sees like what he thinks is like this old brown bowl just sitting on the rocks. He's like, that's weird. Why did someone just bring like a coconut shell to eat off of? Is someone eating an acai bowl? And he walks closer and he realizes that's kind of an odd thing to be here, huh? So he kind of uses his water bottle to tip it around. And that's when he realizes it's not an old brown bowl. It's a human skull that was cut in half. Oh my God. So he thought, 
maybe I should go to the police about this because, I mean, when you're talking about a human skull relatively cleanly cut in half, that's not the work of, you know, vultures. That's not the work of animals. That's that's the work of another human, let's say. But he doesn't go to the police because he had a doctor's appointment and then he had some errands to run. And then he said, well, if I saw a police car while I was running those errands, I probably would have flagged down the police car and said, hey, by the way, I found a human skull at the river. But he didn't. So then Did that he night, take it home? No, it's just sitting at the river. So then that night you're thinking, OK, well, now now after he runs his errands, he's going to go to the, the police station. Well, he had bingo that night. So he's like, I can't go. I have bingo. So he goes to bingo. So it would be a full 24 hours until he finally reports it to the police. I mean... (laughs) A man. man's got plans, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the police go, they find the skull, and it wasn't broken in half due to some force of nature. Like, it wasn't dropped, you know, by an animal and nothing like that. It was cleanly cut vertically, just in half. Oh, like from the in from between your, nose? your eyes, yeah. Oh, but man. cleanly cut, and it wasn't super old either. So it still had white flesh coming out of the eye socket areas. The nose was still somewhat attached, and they placed the skull in a box and drove it to the police station. Now I don't know what I was expecting. Like, where would you place the skull? But just just the fact that they put it in a box and then like into their car just kind of freaks me out. Like, imagine you're just moving a skull in your police car. Weird. So they bring it in to be autopsied, and the technicians are like, "This is beyond bizarre." I mean, the skull looked like it was cut with an electrical skull and the electrical victim, skull electrical saw like uh-huh. just really cleanly cut it was a young woman in her 20s who died maybe a year or two years before this um the skull had only been recently placed in the water though Okay. So she had been dead for a year or two, but only recently her skull was transported to the river. This doesn't make sense. She was classified as a Jane Doe. She had no identification. They um, tried to get her information and they found out that she is European and indigenous descent. They tried to reconstruct her face. They tried to do like her bone structure, everything. But nobody knew her. They put her picture out there. Nobody knew her. Nobody reported her missing. They go back and none of the rest of the body is found. I mean, this is also really specific, which is why people were kind of creeped out about this. I mean, you're talking about somebody who knows how to cut through bones, but not a medical professional. They said it would not be a doctor, not be a nurse, because the cut lines were uneven, medically speaking. So if this was like some creepy doctor who's doing some on the side jobs, like this wouldn't be it because they still have like a method to the way that they do things. But Mm. somebody who knows how to cut their bones. So it's like this really weird niche area, very specific, very creepy. It would be seven years before someone finds out what actually happened to Jane Doe. So they when they saw that they were like not a doctor. But what is it? Exactly. They couldn't figure it out. No, and they couldn't even figure out who she was. She wasn't Mm -hmm. even reported missing. So, I mean, it was... And where's the rest of her body? Yeah. Nobody knew. I mean, still to this day, it's kind of vague. Nobody knows, right? So let's get started on the Picton family because they're... they're (laughs) Okay, so it all starts with the dad, Leonard Picton. And Leonard... (laughs) He was considered a very unambitious dude, lazy. That's what everyone said. He is just not the cream of the crop, just an absolute lays on the couch, gets drunk, yells at people. That's the type of guy he is. So everyone was shook when he announced that, hey, guys, I'm engaged. Like, who would want to marry Leonard? That's what everyone was thinking to themselves. They actually called him Piggy 
to his face and behind his back. They called him Piggy. Like, who would want to marry Piggy? And on top of that, the person that he had proposed to that accepted it was 16 years younger than him. So now he's got this catch, you know, this like young woman. They met at a coffee shop like that doesn't make sense. So he was super, super old when he ran his farm with his new wife and he pretty much wasn't really doing any work. It seemed like his new wife was the one running all the shots. It seemed to be workout. She was motivated. She was hardworking and he was the opposite. So he just kind of like stayed out of the way. He was bullied by his wife the whole time. Like the whole marriage just bullied bullied by his wife. Now, he wasn't good to the kids, though. Neither of the parents are going to be good to the kids. Like really shitty, shitty parenting. So the mom, Helen Louise Pickton, this is the woman that's 16 years younger. And she went by Louise. And she's a strange lady. That's what everyone says. Just just strange like you just can't really put your finger on it like why is she so strange but you know that she's strange so the older that she got the more legendary she became in the neighborhood in the community because she was just becoming louder and stranger and yelling all the time but by the time that she was like like in her 30s like really young she had lost all of her teeth they had rotted out Yeah, they live on a really gross farm that I'm going to get into. And all of her teeth had rotted out. So she would be yelling in this high-pitched voice, but nobody would understand what she's saying at all. And she would just keep yelling and keep yelling. And she loved to talk. She had lost most of her hair. But for some strange reason, she started growing a beard. So she lost her hair on her head and was, you know, very bald. But then, but then, like, the beard, the goatee started sprouting. And it was confusing. She had this, like, really thick mustache. And all the neighborhood kids just wondered to themselves, what is not she just shave it off? It just doesn't make sense. You know, people keep looking at her like she's weird. Why Sounds doesn't like, she just shave it off? Does she have some kind of illness? Well, I Googled it and they said that sometimes it could be um, like a product of incest. Okay. When I'm saying like mustache, I'm not saying like. I know, but also like the whole teeth falling out, the hair falling out. Does I that not sound like. Not, I think it's unhygienic. <laughs> That's, oh, really? Yeah, it, I don't think she's sick. I mean, later she gets cancer, but it wasn't the cancer that made her hair fall out. Huh. And people just wondered, like, why doesn't she just cut off her mustache? Because it was getting really, really bad. It wasn't just like a little stubble because, listen, I have a mustache. I'm not judging nobody. And I do. I do pluck at it. Sometimes it's a little bit wispy, but it's not like a full-on goatee. I feel like if I grew a full-on goatee, I'd probably just shave it off. And she only wore thick rubber boots. And people said that she waddled like a duck. That's just the one thing that everyone remembers about her. Now, another strange thing is that she kept all of the kitchen cupboards locked and she was the only one with the key. Now, she's going to have three children, so I don't know if this was some sort of punishment. I don't know if it was to keep the dogs out or to keep the bugs out, but that's just like a strange thing that everyone remembered about her. So Leonard and Louise, they have three kids, the first being Linda Picton, the daughter, and people were shocked. When she came out, they were like, there's no way that's your kid. It just doesn't make sense. It seems like she was cut from a different cloth. That's what everyone said. She was clean. She had class. She had manners. She had table manners. And the Pictons, none of them had that except for Linda. And I think it has to do with the fact that Louise kind of babied Linda in the sense that she was not a good mom, but she felt like as a daughter, she needed new clothes. She needed to have, you know, experiences going to birthday parties and going to school and church and Sunday school and all of these things. So she was raised a little bit differently from the two boys, but it doesn't really mean that Louise loved her more. Louise seemed to be overall a really shitty parent. 
Now, the reason that she's not a pivotal part of this story is because she was pretty smart. She hated the farm. She hated farm life. She hated the fact that there was just pigs running around on a daily basis. So right after she graduated eighth grade, she moved in with relatives in Vancouver and started attending high school in Vancouver. So she was like, bye farm. I'm done. Like, I don't really care. Now, once she gets there, she doesn't she doesn't try to like contact her family all the time. She doesn't go over to the farm on the weekends. She just wanted very little to do with them. Now, her little brother, Robert Bob Willie Picton. So some people call him Bob. Some people call him Willie. We're going to call him Willie. Okay. His birth was super difficult. He was actually born with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. Now, a lot of people think that this did some sort of brain damage, that maybe this caused him to be a serial killer. <laughs> like, I don't know why they were making the connection, but some people were like, maybe this is the connection there. And he was all around a mama's boy. Since the minute that he shot out of her, he was a full grown mama's boy. Never really close to his dad. Loved his mom. And uh, she didn't really she didn't really like him that much. Well, he was the favorite of the three, but she was a really, really bad mom. People compare it to the Ed Gein situation. So he loved his mom so much, like almost in an incestuous type of way. And she just would beat him, would be so harsh on him. And it was just like this really strange relationship. Even one of Willie's friends kept referring to him as Ed Gein. Just just like I, he reminds me so much of Ed Gein. Imagine saying that about one of your friends just like casually. They remind me so much of Ted Bundy. <laughs> like what? I wouldn't be friends with them. <laughs> you want to? No. Uh. I wouldn't want to be friends with anyone who reminds me of Ted Bundy. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'd yeah. be like, okay, bye. <laughs> And he was considered the super shy, passive one in the family. And he was actually scared of everyone, including his younger brother, David Picton. So this is the last of the Picton family. Um, Dave Picton, David, Dave Picton. He very much looked like his mom. Um, Linda and Dave, they both took after their mom. So they were round faced. They were shorter. But Willie and his dad looked alike. And they both had this tall, narrow face with this long pointed nose. And everyone called it a rat face. They just look like rats. And if you see the picture of Robert Picton, he do be looking like a little rat. <laughs> People's like, they're piggies. They're, they're little rats. <laughs> they're Ed Geens. They're Ed Geens. You know, just like the most lovable family on the block. This is like who you want to be your neighbors, right? And the farm they lived in was horrible. The smell, the dirt, the mess. I mean, it was insane. So they had tons of livestock. They had pigs, chickens, ducks, cows, and dogs. And they would just let them roam in and out of the house, leave piles of shit. Imagine a cow walks into your living room, takes a shit on the ground, and leaves. Nobody noticed. The whole family would just rock around it. Sometimes they wouldn't even walk around it. They would walk into it and then leave the little manure footprints around the house. It was disgusting. The pigs ate up all of the vegetation. So there was there was like no grass, nothing. Uh, they dug these mud holes all around the farm. So there was just massive holes. It was it was just a it was a pigsty. Can I say that? It was really disgusting. Absolute circus. Neighborhood kids would actually come over because they thought it was so fun that, wow, did you know Willie's farm? They don't have any rules over there. So we can actually make the pigs chase us. <laughs> so they would force these pigs to chase the kids as like a fun after school activity. Wow. The pigs were running free a lot of the time, but not like in the pasture race, like free range pig, <laughs> like not in a way that you would want it. Does that make sense? Like yeah, in a very yeah. dangerous, unsanitary yeah. way. Yeah. And the pigs themselves, they weren't healthy. They weren't living a great life. It wasn't like a cute, like prairie on the farm. I don't know what that means, but like, you know, it wasn't like a cute moment. Now, Willie's first memory, he claims, is when he's two years old. This is his claim i don't know if he remembers this but he claims that he lived in the chicken coop 
at two years old. He lived with the chickens and they didn't have running water in the house. So in order to get water, he would have to take his mattress aside, lift up the floorboard underneath his bed to get cold water because there was like this little spring that ran below the chicken coop. I don't remember anything when I was two, so I don't know. Maybe this is true. Maybe it's not. Then at three years old, he claimed that he crashed his father's truck full of pigs. He was left in the truck and he decided, you know what? I'm going to shift some gears around, put it out of park. Before you know it, the truck starts rolling straight for a telephone pole. The pigs, they're just jumping off the back of the truck. The dad's hollering at him like, stop the truck. And he got the hell beaten out of him. But that's what happens. That's what he said. I mean, I don't know. Sounds like a crazy farm life. I don't even know how to describe this. So once they start going to school, they got bullied. They got really, really intensely bullied. And I think the main reason was the kids were in charge of feeding up to 200 pigs before they go to school and cleaning up their pens before they go to school. They were stinky. They just they didn't even shower. They would just clean up all this pig manure, feed the pigs, go straight to school, come back and feed the pigs again. And the family had eight cows that the kids have to clean up after. They only took a bath once a week. They smelled nonstop. The kids called everyone piggy at school. Just the pig, the pigtons are piggies. The two brothers are being called piggies. Yeah, like the Pictons, they're piggies, they're nasty. Now, what made Willie even nastier is that he had a crazy fear of showers. So his siblings, they would shower whenever their parents would let them, but he hated showers. There wasn't even a shower in the house, so they would all only take baths, but he hated it. He hated the idea of water on his face. I mean, just disgusted by it, like disgusted by water on his face. Sounds like some kind of trauma. Yeah, so people asked him, like, what about the smell? And he claimed that he had no sense of smell. So that was his excuse of stinking so much. And their living situation was insane. They would wear the same clothes every single day, feed the pigs, come into the house with the same shoes on that they just fed the pigs in, and just walk around. The kitchen, you could not see a counter without dirt on it. The floor was covered in pig food, in pig poo, in dirt. There was no proper furniture anywhere. There was just like this really disgusting mattress on the living room floor that people would actually sleep in. And it was like covered in manure and feces and just disgusting. The walls seemed feelings, everything was either covered in mud, dirt, nastiness, sometimes blood because they slaughter animals on the farm. Uh, Just poo, everything. There was flies everywhere. There were insects all over the house. And it seemed like the Pictons were the only ones that didn't care. The local farmers, the same farmers who were in the same situation, they didn't have money to fix up their houses. They were disgusted by the Pictons. Like, how do you live like this? This doesn't make any sense. They only wore these like ribbed hand-me-down clothes. So Willie said that when he was five years old for Christmas, he got a new shirt, never worn before by anyone else. He put it on for Christmas. But um, I guess like new shirts, they have... it sounds so privileged that we don't i'm like i'm trying to describe it i'm like they have like a starchy feeling maybe more so back in the day but not so much anymore maybe uh-huh. they're a little bit stiffer because crispy. they haven't been yeah they're like crispy i guess but he hated it he said it hurt so on christmas day he ripped it off of him and started running away naked because he was like that hurts that hurts so that was just the life and then school only got worse because willie was placed in special education classes and a massive hospital opened up nearby huge i'm talking like i think there was about five thousand patients at one point and they had a bunch of doctors move in a bunch of admin move in a bunch of lawyers move in to run this ginormous hospital so the same bus stop that the pictons would stay at to go to school to get onto the school bus Mm -hmm. was the same bus stop that a bunch of these rich doctors kids would line up at 
They had just moved into the area. Their mom's like a doctor and these kids would just be in the best clothes, just like waiting at the bus stop. And as for the Pictons, like this, this is crazy. This is the opposite of them. These kids actually had apple orchids in their house, like on their lawns. Mm. And the Pictons just had like 200 pigs. Like it was just immediately you could see the difference in these two. Now, the Pictons weren't the only poor farmer families, but they didn't fit in with the farmer families either because everyone made fun of the way that Willie and Dave talked. They said that the two Picton boys, they had this really high pitched voice. That was almost like shrill. Anytime that they talked, it was like this really fast paced, like high, high pitched, like ah, voice. Mm. And they were like, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be a farmer. Come on. Like back in the day, masculinity was super toxic. They're like, you're supposed to be a farmer. Come on. Dun, 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 dun. We're farmers. Why aren't, you, why aren't you talking like that? And Dave had problems with his R's. So he talked kind of babyish is how everyone described it. Now, Willie did not cope with this bullying well. This is an unconfirmed story, but for some reason, it's like everywhere, especially in the book. It said that he used to crawl into gutted pigs whenever someone was angry with him. Like the pig would have been slaughtered by his family. They had taken out all the intestines and the organs and he would just he would just crawl up in there, just hide in there from people. I mean, that's that's a lot. So this is Willie's actual favorite story. He said that when he was 12 years old, he saved up all of his money, went to an auction and bought this beautiful calf. And this was the love of his life for 35 freaking dollars. And he thought, okay, this calf, I'm going to raise it till the day that it dies of natural reasons, you know, of old age. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to name it. I'm going to brush it. I'm going to do all of these things. So he does this for a couple of weeks. One day he comes home from school and he can't find his beloved calf. So he's like, where's my calf, guys? And his dad's like, well, why don't you go check in the slaughterhouse? Which is a really odd thing to say. So he's like, in the slaughterhouse? Why would he be in the slaughterhouse? So this 12-year-old Willie runs to the slaughterhouse, slams open the door, and he sees his calf hanging upside down, butchered. He did not talk to anyone for four days. His mom tried to give him an extra 20 bucks for it. Like, can you imagine? Like, they murder your pet, and they're just like, well, do you want 20 bucks? Like that was the type of parenting that was happening on the farm. And he claimed that the lesson that he got from this is, well, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go, which is a really odd lesson to get from something like this. So then the hospital nearby, it starts expanding and they start housing the criminally insane. And they were not well supervised. They all slept in these large rooms, a hundred women in the same room, cared by by like a handful of students and supervisors. So they kind of did their own thing. A lot of them got out, committed suicide in the rivers. Kids would find their bodies just like floating in the local river. And they'd be like, how did the patient get out? What's going on? And the government also allowed them to work on the local farms. So the Pictons used them on multiple locations, which is kind of why they started becoming a little bit more successful off the backs of the criminally insane. So they would have a bunch of them work for them for like very little money. They started expanding. They actually even bought a bigger farm, which is where everything is going to go down on. Okay, and they towed their house there. They towed it there. They towed their already nasty, disgusting, fly-filled house to the new farm. They're like, we're not going to build a new house. No, 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 no. We're going to just tow our house there. Which, side note, the Pictons had enough money to clean, to hire cleaners if they wanted, to buy a new house, to build a new house. They had enough money. And I think that's what made people even more confused by their filth. It wasn't like they couldn't afford it because that makes you sympathetic. Yeah. So they purchased this new farm and it was really pretty when they got it. It was green. It was it had a lot of trees. Now, a lot of people didn't think that it was going to be the best in terms of crops because there was quicksand in certain parts. Some parts were swampy. There was this lagoon in the back that kind of had like a foul smell, they said. But it was it was good for 
livestock they thought it was perfect so they move mm-hmm. over there and they start expanding their pig and cow business they bought a bunch of commercial freezers called themselves bnc lockers everyone called them the meat lockers they actually bought another property where they had just hundreds of commercial freezers for a bunch of farmers to store their meat there so they were really taking advantage of it you know and the farm expanded to have about 700 pigs hundreds of chickens several sheds and a barn and it, i mean it was like a free-for-all for these animals it was wild so willie and dave they still had the same job before school you have to feed the pigs right in between school around noon they would come home feed the pigs again go back to school right after feeding those pigs really stinky then again after school they come home feed the pigs right before bed they feed the pigs so eventually they start missing school because they're oh overworked and Luis did not care the mom did not care she said that means more time for farm work that's fine now there is kind of a belief out there that Willie Pickton was incredibly um stupid you know that he was illiterate he couldn't read and write he didn't have like IQ but he wasn't stupid he wasn't illiterate either he actually was like a functioning human being he was just evil he talked like his mom a lot so he would use these phrases very often which I think is for some reason very unsettling he would say things like Life goes on. Crock of shit. There's always a reason for everything. But that's what happens. That's life. That's not here nor there. We're here today. We're not here tomorrow. Like he just always would throw these in there everywhere. So it was just odd. His way of talking was a little bit odd. So eventually he quit school at 14 and David still stays in school. The reason that Willie quit was not because he wanted to be like a farmer was because he had this pen and it had a woman whose skirt was coming up on it. So it was like kind of a promiscuous pen. It was like a very scandalous pen. And Mm -hmm. the principal said, hey, if you don't get rid of that pen, I'm going to beat you up. And he said, no, you're not. I'm quitting school. So he just like quit school because of that. He was like, I'm gone. And he starts working on the farm full time at 14 years old. So the mom's like, OK, well, if you're going to be a full timer, you need to learn how to slaughter pigs. So initially he hated this idea. He was like, I don't want to slaughter pigs. I hate this. But he starts going to these local butchers. He becomes an apprentice at a meat cutter for about six years and he ended up kind of enjoying it now dave on the other hand he's living a little bit more of a normal life he's making friends he's going on dates which is really strange because who wants to date dave Pickton? absolutely nobody i can't even imagine right and he would hang out with his friends he got his license when he's 16 years old and this is kind of when you start really really hating the Picktons even more up until this point in the story you're like well shit the kids i kind of feel bad for them but mm-hmm. then you end up hating the whole family so he gets his driver's license and he takes out the car no more than 400 feet away from his house there was a 14 year old tim barrett leaving his friend's house just walking on the same side of traffic which is what they tell you to do on this very like quiet road it's not a freeway not a highway just like a subdivision road and he gets hit by dave's car which is weird because it wasn't raining there was no odd visibility issues there wasn't you know weather issues there was nothing he just gets hit by the car and so dave comes home and he's like oh my god dad mom what do i do look at my car look at my car so they go to look at it and there's this massive dent in the front where obviously tim baird had made impact with the car there's blood on the car and they're like okay well you need to take it to the shop and have them fix it just tell them it was like a log a log hit your car and now you want it fixed so he drives over to the mechanic and he's like you need to fix this dent you need to paint it over and the mechanic fixes the dent but the whole time he's confused 
mm-hmm. because all the picked-in cars are disgusting. All of them are dented. So why do they care about fixing this one dent when they've seen the picked-ins drive around in cars that have much worse dents? Like they only fix it up if there's mechanical issues and it won't drive. The mm-hmm. car's fine. That's odd. And he refused to paint it over because he just felt weird about it. He was like, "This all feels weird. I'm not gonna paint it. You go paint it." So he actually takes the car back home and paints it with like regular house paint. <laughs> and it like doesn't match anything else so there's just like this it's really yeah so he made it more obvious yes he like painted a bullseye on it essentially and you know louise she goes into the road and she sees tim barrett laying there and she does not hesitate this is a mom we're talking about a mom of three kids she doesn't hesitate she drags him and throws him 10 feet off the road into a ditch he's dead he's not dead yet oh Wait, so the mom was told that this accident happened. Mm-hmm. So she went over there to t- take over the body. Yeah. And so just tosses 14-year-old Tim Barrett into a ditch. Now, the next morning, the mechanics are listening to the news talking about, oh, my God, there's been this hit and run. This is crazy. Like, we need to find out what happened. And he's like, wait a minute. I just fixed that truck with a very suspicious. And then the paint. So he calls the police and the family. They're searching for Tim Barrett. And once they find Tim's body... To get autopsy, this is where it gets really bad. He wasn't actually killed when the truck hit him. He was badly injured, but he actually drowned in two feet of filthy brown water in the ditch that Louise had dragged him to. So the police, they start investigating the Pictons. They look at the truck. I mean, the, the dent is fixed, but it's got this bullseye painting on it. They get some paints and the regular paint of the car matched the paint found on Tim's body. And nobody knew what happened. There was no answer. The, the, why? Were you speeding? Did you want to hit this kid? Nobody had an answer. Dave was charged with a hit and run. He went to juvenile court and he was only on probation for four years. That's it. Nobody talked about Louise's role in all of this. Nobody talked about how did Tim Barrett get from the road to now drowning in this ravine like this little ditch. Nothing. That was just always neighborhood gossip. But from that point on, I think a lot of people had very negative feelings towards the Pictons. So like that was Dave's thing. He like loved getting into trouble, loved hitting people in his truck and then doing a hit and run and murdering people. Vehicle manslaughter. That was Dave's thing. And Willie's thing was dumpster diving. Like he just had these strange habits all the time. And one of it was dumpster driving. So he would drop off all of the laborers from the hospital and he would go into the dumpsters immediately after. He loved dropping them off after their shift near dinner hour so that they would bring out all the food that the hospital fed the patients. They would dump it into the dumpster, half eaten food. He would go in there, cut off all the dirty bits, and then he would eat all of this dumpster food. That was his that was his jam. Now, Willie's biggest memory about this experience of dumpster diving was not dumpster diving itself, but the fact that the mentally ill girls at the hospital who were close like teenagers, they were in their teenage years, Mm -hmm. they would flash him through the windows. They would just like lift up their shirts. And he loved it. He said it was disturbing. Oh, that's what he said. But I don't believe him because he would actually befriend a lot of these women later. So it's just odd. All of it's odd. Like this whole family is just odd. It's unsettling, I guess. Now, Willie and Dave, eventually they start splitting up. So prior to this, they were doing everything on the farm together. They were feeding the pigs. They were cleaning up after the pigs. But then eventually Dave starts getting into construction site work. He was like, I love demolitions. He sounds like the type that would love to like demolish things. He's like, I love going in there and just like tearing stuff down. That's like, that's a my jam. I'm an alpha male. And Willie, he spends most of the time on the farm. And he has a side hobby of loving cars, machinery. So he 
he would bring in all of these junk cars, fix them up, sell them for parts. A lot of the times he would steal these cars and then sell them for parts. He would slaughter at least two dozen animals a day, which is insane. So people said that Willie was actually pretty kind. They said there was a difference in the brothers. If you compare them, Dave had just the foulest mouth and he was unapologetic about it. Not in a cool way, just a really disgusting dude. Meanwhile, Dave or Willie, he kind of treated people like a gentleman. Most of the time. That's what the neighbors said. I don't know him. I don't like to say anything positive about him. So maybe he was just a good actor. So when Dave starts doing his demolition work, he realizes, wait a minute. I don't have to just destroy things. I can start selling our property without our family getting pissed off. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to remove the topsoil from the farm and sell it to farmers and gardeners and people building new houses. And that's good because topsoil is needed. I don't understand the topsoil business. So he would just like take soil Mm -hmm. from his own farm and sell it to other farmers so i guess you mm -hmm. need like a specific type of soil that like maybe you need to redo yeah yeah it's like Everyone the soil knows. you buy from home Depot. yeah right? yeah so he gets into the topsoil business now side note a bunch of his topsoil is tainted <laughs> with like heavy metals and heavy chemicals. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. And he's doing all of this disgusting stuff. I mean, really rude guy. He would just call random woman fat. Like they'd be walking on the street and he'd be like, you fat cow. Like that was, and I quote, that's, he thought he was hilarious. He would say it and he would like giggle with his friends and everyone was like, haha, that's so good. That's a good one. So creative. And he also had girlfriends. He eventually had two kids. Like Dave was... Dave was popular in a weird, sick and twisted way. Now, Willie, he's not popular. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to be his friend. He's just kind of like that awkward, shy guy in the back that doesn't really do anything. So he starts connecting with pen pals. He starts writing to people. And one of these people was an American woman named Connie Anderson. She lived in Michigan. And when Willie was 24 years old, he had his first vacation ever to leave Canada to go to America to see Connie Anderson. And he goes out to America for the first time. And he's like, wow. It's insane, okay? He hates Americans, side note. We'll get into that. He said that the first time him and Connie met, they got engaged. Immediately, they were like, oh, you're the one for me. We got to get married, boo-boo. And the only problem was she didn't want to leave the States, and he couldn't leave the farm. Mm -hmm. So now they're like in this like tug of war, like long distance relationship. Ooh, like Canada versus the U.S. What will you choose? And it was just like really just tumultuous. He said during his vacation, they kept asking him to be a model. Like he was like out and about. And all these scatters came and were like, can you be a model? <laughs> Him, a model. But he told everyone that he declined and he said, but I'm just a farm boy. <sighs> now, the weekend that he went was George Washington's weekend, which maybe on the East Coast, this is bigger, right? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like uncultured and not American, I guess. But there's George Washington's birthday, which everyone celebrates by eating cherry pie. Why cherry pie, you ask? Well, as a kid, George Washington, he had cut a ch cherry tree, like had honkered down on the trunk of a cherry tree. And his parents were like, hey, who did this? And as a young boy, George Washington said, I must not tell a lie. I did it with my hatchet. So it kind of showed that even as a young boy, George Washington loved honesty. He valued honesty. So as a tradition, people eat cherry pie for George Washington's, you know, 
birthday celebration and mm-hmm. he saw this he witnessed this and he talked about how americans kept trying to shove cherry pie in his face and he was disgusted he was looking around looking at all these filthy americans with just cherry pie all over their lips and their face and their cheeks and he was oh disgusting can you imagine so he gets back and obviously his quote-unquote engagement with connie fizzles out because it's just a battle of the states in canada she doesn't want to move he can't move because of the farm and he starts trying to date more girls but there's a lot of girls on the farm no one wants to date him a lot of people use the farm as like this meeting point this gathering point dave had a ton of friends a ton of trucker friends that would come a lot of women would come and do drugs i mean there was drugs everywhere it was just they just didn't like willie he had a strange sense of humor they said he would slaughter a pig grab the penis from the pig and try to like tie it around his belt so that it would look like he it's his penis outside of his clothes like i guess and oh he would just kind of like God. helicopter it around to people and like chase them around and people thought this was incredibly disgusting which it is but he would just be like ha 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 and you're like something's wrong there like something is weird he would grab the intestines of a pig and just starts chasing people around the farm with it while he's like laughing by the way willie never wore gloves the picture of willie that is infamous after it came out that he's a serial killer is him in the process of slaughtering a pig with like blood all over his hands so he never wore gloves just chasing people around in his room he had the taxidermied head of his beloved horse I don't know. Something about that's weird. This is his pride and joy. Her name was Goldie and the horse ended up dying early. So he sawed off the head and took it to a taxidermist. And just like he had this wild dog that he would always feed raw meat to. I mean, yeah, I can understand why people didn't really want to be his friend. He had this mattress that was just laying on the ground, which later he doesn't even end up having a mattress. He ends up sleeping on a like a sleeping bag on the floor. But it had these like really unexplainable dark stains on it. And he would just sleep on it. So nobody, no one really liked him. No one really wanted to be his friend. You know that amazing physical rush that you get when you just like swim a couple of laps in the pool? Maybe you go for a bike ride around the block. You get that deep tissue massage and you're like, wow, that hits the spot. Don't you ever think about you want something like that for your brain? Yeah, sleeping is nice. But don't you think about what can I do in my downtime that just makes my brain feel refreshingly challenged? And I have the answer for you, my friends. It's Best Fiends. If you guys are looking for a puzzle game that can give you a good challenge, something that requires more than the same strategy round after around you know those puzzle games where all you do is smash the candy over and over best fiends is not like that at all it is the mobile puzzle game that always leaves your brain feeling so good afterwards in fact it's almost too much fun i can't stop playing literally i'm on level 304 which sounds like level 304 stephanie that's intense but the coolest thing about it is they're constantly doing new updates so it never feels like i'm still playing the same game over again i mean i get on the bed after a long day at work and i I just pull out my phone and start doing these puzzles. My fiance, he's laying next to me and he always says, just two best friends playing best fiends. And I'm like, you got to stop doing that. You got to stop doing that. (laughs) And it's not a problem at all because best fiends has literally thousands of fun puzzles to solve. I'm excited to hit like all these new milestones. 350, I'm coming at you next. So my advice, give best fiends a try. Just don't blame me if you can't put it down. And it's free to download. So download the five star rated puzzle game best fiends free today on the app store or google play store that's friends without the r best fiends 
Now, Willie, both of his parents die. And when they die, they leave a bunch of money for the kids. Now, Louise had left everything to all three of them to be split evenly, but there was a catch. Willie would not have his full lump sum of money until he turned 40, and only if he stayed on the farm until he was 40 years old. How old are they then? This would be like, uh, I think he was like 30. So like at least another decade, which is insane. He was really upset about this. So he gets a lump sum of $20,000 right off the bat. Meanwhile, Linda and David, they're in charge of actually running the farm, all these legal decisions with the farm, and they get all of their money up front to do, you know, to do business, to do that or whatever they want. They have all of their inheritance right up front. But Willie, he won't get a dime of that until he turns 40 and he has to stay on this farm like that. He was so upset by this. Technically, he did get $20,000 more, but still so super strange it seemed like maybe his mom wanted to protect him maybe he he's immature maybe he's not good with money or maybe his mom kind of had this like motherly suspicion i don't know why she did that so he was trapped for another 10 years while the siblings could live anywhere they wanted and he had to keep slaughtering animals because that's the way that he was making money because he wouldn't get the rest of his money so he started buying these animals at auctions and they said that they always saved the sick ones for him no one else buys sick pigs but willie Pickton. What? Because he didn't care. He just wanted the best price and he would sell the meat. Oh. Some people that's said gross. like the meat, okay, I could, the book goes in depth on the type of meat that he sells, but it's it's really nasty. A lot of them would have like spores on it and just just like he was not selling good meat. He was selling it for cheap, but it was not good meat. And he wasn't doing it in a way. So slaughtering the pigs, what was the process, you wonder? Well, I was wondering because it becomes important. The way that he slaughters animals will be consistent later with the way that he murders humans, actual human beings, which is really disturbing. So he was methodical, but not in a good way. So if the, a cow or a pig was... um just there he would like slit its throat which is not the way that you want to do it because that means essentially you're making this animal bleed out it's going to be incredibly painful or he would grab a nail gun and shoot it right in between the eyes and the forehead so this is actually the better way to do it but it's not with a nail gun you're actually supposed to use some sort of like there's a like a slaughtering gun i don't know if that's what it's called but essentially it's like this rod that goes in it's like this really thick rod like a thick nail that goes right in between the eyes it's oh. supposed to be the least painful the most instant for an animal that's like the most humane way they say if you can even call it humane but he used an actual nail gun like he didn't use that he used a nail gun because i guess maybe he was too cheap or didn't care he used a nail gun and then he would cut a deep slit in the ankle and by the tendons he would hang it up on a large hook in the slaughterhouse he would slit its throat if he hadn't already and catch all of the blood in a bucket then he would gut it so he would grab his electric saw and he would saw it open right down the middle grab all of its entrails grab all of its organs put it into a bucket and then the parts that he couldn't do anything with such as the bones such as the parts that don't have meat he would either use dave's big bulldozers and just he would dig these massive holes on the farm like 30 40 feet deep and just throw pig carcasses cow carcasses in that hole and then just put dirt over it this made the excavation of this crime scene so horrific and so intense later on because he would just dump animal carcasses all over the farm now, where are the health inspectors? I had the same question. So they would come once in a while and they would be shocked. They would be appalled. They would write reports on this farm and they would shut it down for a couple of weeks. But sure enough, they would be out of town working on something else or there would be another farm scandal and they would get distracted and he would just open straight back up like they, he never changed a thing. 
who just opened back up. One time a friend walked in on him bulldozing to get rid of these these pig carcasses and he was so focused and she said it was just kind of strange and he kept telling her, well, I got this big old pig here. I'm just I'm just burying the big big old pig. Mm-hmm. And he was like scrambling to fill the hole with dirt. Ah. So she just said like the whole thing had a strange vibe to it that day. Just a little weird. Now, if he didn't bury them, he would bring them to a place called West Coast Reduction, which, fun fact, it's owned by a very rich Canadian billionaire, like their family owns it. But uh, a rendering plant, this is really alarming, I didn't know this, but a rendering plant, a lot of people will come and dump things that aren't needed anymore. So animal parts that can't be used, hair is one of them, because you can't really render it down at home, like hair, what are you going to do? Put it down your toilet? That's going to clog. Put it in the trash? That's not it. it. Hair? I mean, I guess, but they would bring it to like a rendering plant. All these farmers, they would go to this plant and they would just drive up in their trucks. They would have these massive, just blue, like 45 gallon drums in the back of their truck. They would go drive up to this. They call it a deep pool of waste. And Mm -hmm. they would open the lids and just dump their waste in there. And the rendering plant would actually render it into this waxy substance that was now purified, that was clean, that would later be used in things such as soap, cosmetics and makeup. (laughs) Oceans. so that's great the amount of contamination that just the pictons did to canada and maybe the world is alarming not just like the topsoil not just it's really bad so he would just open up the lids dump them into the vast pool of waste so you're talking meat you're talking hair bones carcasses all of that i mean is that not what he's supposed to do it's what he's supposed to do but there was a time where it was alarming because nobody really checked his drums he was such a regular that no one was like hey open up your drums because there's certain things that they're not allowed to put into the pool of waste right Mm -hmm. and so the newers the new people the noobs the company would be like well open up your drums okay let's supervise you're good but they would just wave him in so technically he could get away with dumping anything he wanted at the rendering plant which is not good and one time he couldn't go so he asked someone to pick up his 45 gallon drums for him Mm -hmm. so they're like yeah you're like a regular come on i'll pick it up for you so the employee comes picks up these blue 45 gallon drums and he opens it up just for like a sneak peek and he saw big chunks of meat which he was confused because most farm workers, they want to get all of their meat. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not for humans, maybe they'll feed the other animals with different types of meat. Maybe they'll do something with the meat. I don't know, right? It's just, it's so odd to see farmers throw away so much meat. He just felt odd about it, but he didn't really want to question it. He just threw it into the vast pool of dump and that was it. So this West Coast rendering plant, it was located downtown Eastside, Vancouver. And a lot of the people that live there said it's a doggy dog world down there. There's a lot of drug dealers, a lot of pimps, a lot of people being taken advantage. If This was like Vancouver Skid Row. And there was a ton of sex workers. Now, the sex workers were particularly vulnerable at this location because they were heavily addicted to drugs. A lot of the times they were addicted to drugs because of their pimps, not because they just, you know, were like, let me just try it out. It's like the they fell in love with these guys who were like, I love you so much. And then they were like, well, let's try this together. And the whole time, this guy did not love her, just wanted to sell her, you know, just wanted her to sell her body so that he could make money off of her. That was it. So a lot of the times they were either too high when they got into someone's car to make good decisions or they were so desperate to get high. A lot of them were even having acute withdrawal symptoms, like physically they would feel something that they were very, very desperate to try to get some money to feed this addiction. 
And a lot of the times, like I said, the addiction wasn't even their fault. And they were so physically ill, just really, really desperate. So he starts picking up sex workers there, just nonstop. He would go to the Rest Coast Reduction Plant, go pick up sex workers. He would pay $40 for a blowjob. And that was like his jam. He would go to these super seedy hotel bars, would buy everyone drinks because he was kind of wealthy. He later becomes like a millionaire what yeah and he would buy everyone drinks just acted like he owned the place bring girls home to his like little farm and it was just super shady around the time that willie Pickton is seen all over downtown vancouver is the time that a lot of sex workers were disappearing a lot of indigenous sex workers as well and a lot of families they were noticing because thankfully these women yes they were in the sex work industry and that was just their occupation a lot of these women they were daughters they were sisters they were mothers they were amazing people that just fell into a life of circumstance and so they were connected with their family members and the families they would go to the police and they'd be like do something do something and the police were just like well maybe they moved like what so in 1998 there was a constable david who got really concerned like he's a police officer that really really cared now the whole thing with the police is that if you just look at the overview the police forked up so bad they did. But there's maybe a handful of police officers who tried their best, but they were constantly shut down by supervisors. There were a couple good ones in there that tried to fight. They live with so much guilt because they're like, I could have fought harder, harder for these women, you know? But um, yeah, they were just shut down by these higher ups. So he kept talking about, hey, I keep getting these reports of missing woman. I, do, I just, we need to do something. Maybe there's an active serial killer around. This is just so odd. So he starts talking to a man by the name of Kim Rosmo. Now, Kim Rosmo is going to be a huge debate in the Vancouver Police Department because he started off as a regular detective and he worked his way up and then he became a well-renowned profiler of serial killers like the u.s used him he was consulting all over canada he was consulting all over the world he was known to be a geographical um profiler so what he was saying is this is his whole thing anyone who commits these crazy serial killings they're pathological yeah they're pathological. It's insane. But the locations of crime scenes are never pathological. So the same patterns that we use to determine where we shop, the same patterns McDonald's uses to put their next location applies to criminals. You know, everyone is location based. Everyone is geography based. That's just not something that you fix all the time. It's like wired in us. So mm -hmm. all these serial killers, they have geographical patterns. So if you have missing woman, you can find out the geography of where they go missing, where the killer probably is, and then have this radius to search for the person doing this. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah. So that was his thing. But everyone in the police hated him because they were like, that is some academic phony. That's what people say when they haven't been on the streets. So you had the old time detectives who were like, no, no, no. You haven't even worked the streets a day in your life. You just sit at your little computer, like geographically speaking. And they were just like, anything you say is phony. Anything you say is just so dumb. Get out of here. There was just such a big struggle within the own police department. So Kim Rosmo was like, yeah, there's a serial killer active. Like, I'm pretty sure of it. And they were like, no, there isn't. Like, we haven't even found bodies. Like, you're so insane. Kim, so Kim is saying, based on all these reports, they're yeah. all from the same area. All these seems very similar. Yeah. It must be a serial killer. So the reason that they came across this is because they established a baseline. So from 1978 to 1994, only about one or two women went missing in east side, like, Vancouver. But 
those were people that were unfound. So a lot of women went missing, but they were later found either dead or alive. And then if they were murdered, they found the murderer, all of that jazz. But there was a dramatic spike in disappearances starting in 1995. And the questions were, why 1995? And why weren't any of the bodies being found? There was actually a lot more women who went missing, but a lot of their bodies were found either overdosed, either murdered, either in a different city. But none of these bodies were being found, which Mm -hmm. is really strange. And none of them were being found in different cities alive so this sounds like a serial killer they're disposing of their bodies somewhere and we just haven't found them yet so they kept trying to tell people this and nobody nobody cared so finally once they started beating on so many doors and the families kept beating on the police they started a task force to handle missing women but it did not go anywhere like literally nowhere they had like one person on the team and they were just like we're gonna call it this task force but they didn't do anything it was just a name it was just to like shut people up essentially yeah, because was it mainly because they're all sex workers and police just didn't care? Yeah. Okay. Which is like still the same today, which is insane. But they ju- they just kept saying we haven't found bodies. It's not even a homicide. Mm. So they're saying we it's not even a homicide. Why should we put so much resources into it? Which is so messed up. So the sex workers, I mean, these women, they took their safety into their own hands. They had this women's shelter that all of them frequented in Vancouver, and they they set up this room. Now, this room was heavily monitored, and only women were allowed inside. Even the male volunteer who worked every single day at this shelter was loved by everyone. He was not allowed in there. No man was allowed in there, and they started this book, like a burn book, but it was called, like, The Bad Date List. So they would write the names, the descriptions of men, and names and license plates that said, beware, this is not a good John is what they called it, like not a good client, very creepy. Be aware of this person. So they would go in there every day, go through the list of people and make sure that they don't fall victim to whatever is happening out there. And they knew what the police refused to accept is the fact that there probably was a serial killer targeting these women and they just had to do everything by themselves, even though they were already in such vulnerable positions. Now, Dave, he starts focusing more on his demolition. Back to the Pictons, right? He starts doing more topsoil and most of his employees were high or drunk when they're like operating this heavy machinery, when they're digging up this soil, just super high, super not in a good position and they would just leave mounds of soil all over the farm the farm is no longer looking like a farm if you drove up to that farm no one would think it's a farm they would think it's a junkyard so you know willie started doing this thing where he would buy like close to 150 cars every year like not new cars but junk cars that don't even work and he would just he would just literally leave them all across the farm for what it's like his little hobby it was like his little fun hobby he would try to fix it up he would try to mess around with it he would sell them for parts Mm, So 150, you know, cars a year, junk cars. Then they also had all of this heavy, just like excavators and bulldozers all over the farm. They had like no grass anymore. All the soil was being sold. So they had just mounds of soil in and out of that place. Like it was just dusty, just not a farm. Meanwhile, they still had like pigs, a bunch of pigs living in these horrible conditions. It was just a nightmare. And then the Hells Angels started hanging out there. So this is like a big biker gang. And the Pictons would actually work for them. So the the Hells Angels, they would steal these cars, bring them to the Picton farm. They would pick out all the parts that they can sell. Hells Angel? It's like a biker gang. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like a gangster gang? Yeah, like a full-on gangster gang. I don't know much about the Hells Angels. I always just saw them in the movies. I think I saw one video of like a Hells Angel like saving a dog, I think. And everyone was like, aw. But then everyone was like, they also kill people. So then everyone was like, ooh. 
That's、okay. the only thing I know about them. Just the ah and the ooh, <laughs> and so they would bring these cars and they would pick apart the parts that they can sell, and the pickdens would then bulldoze a giant hole, and then just plop in full cars into the ground and cover it up and cover it up so that this stolen car would never be located, and they just sold the parts that made money. So I can't even imagine how many cars are under their property. I mean, it was insane. They would bury tanks filled with diesel oil. That's really bad. He would, they would just bury them. They had no care in the world. Dave also had multiple sexual assault allegations, and any time something was about to happen, bikers, the Hell's Angel, would show up at the girl's house and threaten her, make her scared. She wouldn't show up for the court date. So then he was only charged like a fine, like a one thousand dollar fine for sexual assault. And Dave was really gross with everything that included work. He didn't pay his workers, so a lot of the times they would start stealing Dave from him. Or, Dave or Willie. Dave, the little brother. Oh,、okay. yeah. So he would.、Um, he didn't pay workers, so they would start stealing from him. He would actually get rid of contaminated soil. So a lot of companies would call him out and say, "Hey, we've got this land that we're trying to develop on, but the soil is nasty. It's got you know benzene, toluene, heavy metals. Just really, this is bad." So he would take that soil, bring it to the farm, mix it with some fresh soil, and then resell it to farmers to b- plant their crops in with soil that had heavy metals in it. And no one knew a thing until later. The farm was a shit show. They had a sign that said "Pitbull with AIDS, no trespassing." Who makes a sign like that? You can't even buy that off of Amazon. It's not even like "Beware of dog." Like it's not a generic sign. They would have these crazy parties. They would bury cars, cows, bury your friend, like do drugs. They would bury everything, and it was just the worst crowd that you could find. That was constantly hanging out at the farm. They would bully young kids into stealing cars for them, or else the Hell's Angel would threaten to kill them. And every single night they would have these just ragers. So all of them would be done with their work. They would come back to the farm and just throw these massive parties. Drugs everywhere. Now, what's interesting is that the Pictons were relatively sober. So Willie or Dave, they never did drugs. They never really drank. They were just constantly surrounded by it. And Willie Picton, the guy, the serial killer, his favorite thing to do was to buy sex workers drugs. That was his favorite thing. It seemed like it was a way of getting them to hang out with him. But he felt in his heart that he was Robin Hood, that he was helping these women. He was buying it, but not using it. No, just、okay. giving it to these women. Ah,、uh, okay. And so, as these parties start getting worse, they're like, okay, well, how do we make it even more disgusting as humans? They start a cockfighting business, and it became this huge ordeal. There was a lot of dangerous groups in the area, so you had the Hell's Angels, but you also had different gangs of different nationalities, and they would all show up and they would bet their money on which chicken would win, and it was it was horrific. They had security guards all over the place just in case the police came. I mean, this was a whole show. This was not like a sneaky little. This was a whole operation. They charged admission. They sold food, which was Willie's famous barbecue. Willie's famous barbecue, beer. Took a commission off of the bets. I mean, disgusting. Really nasty group of people. And Dave's kids, they were always there. They were just like watching with their friends, trying to get a better look at the the chickens that were mauling each other to death. And another fun thing at these parties was everyone loved bullying Willie. That was his thing. And Dave, the little brother of Willie, just let his friends bully his older brother. They always called him two tiles short of a load, which I think is like the Korean saying "ipro pujoke," which means like just two percent from a hundred percent. Like you're ninety eight percent there in the head. It's like a saying in Korean,、mm. you know. But like. You're just like two percent short,、something. yeah, of like functioning normally. If that makes sense, it's、yeah. like a really mean saying. 
It's yeah. not a nice one. And they would let people steal things from Willie's room. They would pour water on him because they knew that he was terrified of water on his face. And he would just go berserk. And that caused more people to want to do it because they're like, ha ha, I love traumatizing people. And it became more of a shit show because they only had one bathroom that didn't have a lock. So if Willie, he ever went in there to take his very occasional, very rare bath, people would just like plop right in and take a poo next to him and he would get mad. But it's just... He's still getting bullied yeah. at this point. And he would actually like stop bathing at one point because so many people would just like make fun of him. They would come in and be like, oh, look at you naked in the bath. I don't know why they never thought to just like put a lock on the door, but they never did. And so finally, once people started hating Willie Moore, Dave got a couple new girlfriends and they were like, I don't like your brother. He's creepy. He actually ends up kicking Willie out of the farmhouse. So Willie stays in the slaughterhouse for months, sleeping on top of the freezers that they have. So he just like sleeps there for months. Finally, he decides, you know what? I'm going to get a motorhome. So eventually he has two different motorhomes, one that is at the work site in Vancouver. So like at a construction site for Dave's business. And then another one on the farm that had two front doors, kind of important later. And it was near the back of the farm. It was really isolated and rather private. So now this was like working for the family. This is this is a vibe. We're like no longer all up in each other's business all the time. Willie's doing his own thing and Dave's getting along with him finally. Now, enter in Lisa, the one friend that Willie had. So Lisa, she lived really close to the Picton farm and her son was friends with Dave's son, right? So they were always out running late. She was always nervous. So she kept calling the farm being like, is my son there? Like, why isn't he coming back home? And Willie picked up one day and was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll drive your son home for you. So he drove Lisa's son back to her house. And that is when, you know, they just became super close friends. They would talk on the phone every day. She would go to the farm practically every day. And she said that um, the only issues that he had came from non-exposure. So small things. She would see him watching these like fantasy TV shows, which was really rare that he's watching TV. But when he did, he would get so sucked into it that he didn't even realize that this was not real life. What what does that mean? Like he would genuinely think like Star Wars is out there. Ah. Uh, you know? Okay. But not like crazy. Like he's not mentally insane, you know, if that makes any sense. He would just be too into it. Yeah, so 2% not there. Yeah, like 2% not there. And then she said that it was super amusing because he hated suspense. He hated like anxiety-inducing things. His favorite thing, though, would be to watch detective stories or like spy stories, like movies, and he would play them. But anytime it would get suspenseful and someone's about to get caught, he would squirm the whole time. He would push his back as far into the sofa cushions because he's like pushing back away from the TV and he would just be silent. Just could not bear the suspense of any of this. One time they went to a chill children's magic show and this is gonna haunt her later and it's haunting me and willie stared at her and afterwards said lisa i just don't understand how the magician could cut people in half which later he does so she's she like, said i just don't understand yeah so i don't know if it like means like how oh he okay I don't know if he's like trying to act dumb. I don't know if he means like, oh, and then put them back together. Probably. Because he is like a person who slaughters and he knows once you do it, you can't undo it. Yeah. So he just seemed like he just kept talking about, I just don't understand how the magician can cut them in half. Yeah. And she was like, what? Like you're, you're an adult. You should know that this is trickery. This is not, he's not actually, what? Mm -hmm. Like she was confused by this. Now Lisa became the only one that could talk to Willie and she would straight up tell him. She would say, hey, 
You're starting to smell rude. That was her favorite saying. You need to take a shower because you're you're offensive at this point. So he would go take a shower and she would clean up the trailer for him. And it seemed like he respected her in a sense. They were like siblings. But in the back of her mind, she kept saying, I just I just couldn't stop comparing him to Ed Gein in the back of my mind. Ed Gein was famous, huh? Yeah, and it's like, Lisa, come on. Like, the minute that you start comparing your friends to serial killers, they're not your friend no more. You gotta you gotta get out of there. And so she would say, yeah, just, I always thought that Willie could be a serial killer, like Ed Gein. But for some reason, I always knew that he would never hurt me. <laughs> and they would cuddle. He would wake up with an erection, but he, he never tried anything. And she always remembered his legs. His legs were hairless, bony, white, and his feet were odd. He never cut his th- toenails, so they were like an inch long. Now, he was really clean about something, she noticed. He was really good about going to the dentist to get his teeth cleaned, like all the time. His breath would really? stink. I mean, his breath was foul, but his teeth technically were cleaned by the dentist. I don't know why. That it, is so yeah. odd. He tried to keep his like shower somewhat clean, like his bathtub somewhat clean. He always set the table for dinner, which she thought was odd. So there was like weird things that he would do. And she just didn't understand it. He would buy all of Lisa's groceries. They would go shopping. And at this point, you know, he has a lot of money. And he would tell her, if there's something you like that costs too much, just swap out the tags for something cheaper. It'll go through. The cashier won't even know. She was like, that's just so strange. I mean, this guy has like some weird, strange things going on. He was really generous, got her a Costco card. And she kept she kept trying to get him to buy some vegetables. But he only wanted to eat the pork. Pork was his favorite. Pigs pork was his jam orange juice milk potatoes that's it and then meat from the farm now he really liked lisa because she just didn't judge him that was like a whole thing i have mixed feelings about lisa i don't like her because she doesn't help the police investigation and women women literally get murdered come on what the heck where is your moral standing but at some point like i don't know it's just weird so they just do they like each other romantically no they're just like really good friends okay yeah it's just so strange. It's hard to understand. Now, who hated Lisa? Dave hated Lisa. They despised each other. And it all started because Lisa felt like Dave was a shitty dad. I mean, he had his kids working an excavator when they were eight years old, worked them to the bone. Sometimes Dave's kids would hide in Lisa's house in her kitchen cabinets whenever Dave came looking for them. So she was like, obviously, they don't like working. They don't like this energy, this vibe to get rid of it. But he would just always talk to her like she was the scum of the earth. His greeting to Lisa was, hi, you fucking loser. How are you? Every single morning. (laughs) Anytime Lisa was over, he wouldn't say hi. He wouldn't say, hey, you again. He would say that line. And she hated it. But she was also so terrified of him. So every single morning, the Picton brothers, they would start their morning very, you know, healthy. Because breakfast is the most important meal. They would go to the local strip club and have their breakfast. Every, no, not, <laughs> not what you're thinking. Literally, they love strip club food. So they would, yeah, they would Wait, have their the breakfast. the two brothers? Yeah, together. And they would just go about their work schedule. So they'd be like, yeah, well, I'm slaughtering these many pigs today. Okay, you're going to do this truck business. Okay, and then we're going to meet here and then blah, blah, blah. And it just seemed like Dave was always the one in charge of everything. And Willie, he, if Dave said do this, Willie would do it. He would jump. He would do everything. Now, whenever people asked Willie, what do you do for a living? He just said, I'm just a pig man. That's all. A pig man. 
So in 1994, Linda Pickton negotiated the sale of the north end of the farm for $3.1 million because real estate developers realized that Port Coquitlam, which is where they were living, was popping. You know, it was about to be the next suburban area. So they were like, let's build some townhouses on the land. So they buy the north end of the land for $3.1 million. The next year, they sell two more parts of the land, um, one part to the city of Port Coquitlam, and it was for $2 million. That was to be turned into this massive park to make it even more family friendly and then the second piece was actually sold to the city of port coquitlam's um school district for 4.1 million dollars and they were gonna put an elementary school right next to the park near the farm so the family just rich rich now yeah so now they're just i mean and then the rest of the farm that they still had which was i think close to like 17 acres so they're still like it sounds like they have neighbors right there and they do but it's still like 17 acres are you kidding like they still have privacy they're still throwing these ragers it's a farm the rest of it was estimated to be in like the eight millions at one point gosh so if just all of the assets i mean i don't know their financials i don't know if because I believe the sister was talking about how they had to fix up so many parts of it before they sold it. Mm-hmm. But um, they were estimated to be like three to six million dollars each per sibling, their mm-hmm. net worth at one point. So, I mean, they were rich. They were rich enough to definitely clean up the place, to not be throwing these ragers. And it's just odd that Willie was rich. It just makes the whole thing feel even grosser. So after the Pictons get rich, this is when even worse crowds start hanging around. So prior to this, the farm was still technically a working farm. I mean, it wasn't the best run. It was not the best quality, but it still revolved somewhat around work and then raging hard after work. But after they started selling off their land, I mean, just really nasty people from all walks of life started hanging out at the farm. They were just like trying to get a piece of their money. They constantly had workers stealing from them, stealing tools, stealing cars, stealing literally heavy machinery, just like driving an excavator down the street to take it home to sell it like it was insane everyone wanted money they wanted loaned money they wanted cars just everything now with these new neighbors with the new sale of parts of the property they started noticing things you know after the townhouse was built these new houses came in these suburban families started living there they started noticing that willie would use his farm equipment heavily in the middle of the night like he would just just dig and dig and dig Oh, the neighbor noticed. Yeah, like these suburban families, they were just like, hey, we just like moved here. And that farmer, man, he works hard because in the middle of the night, he'll get up and just start digging these holes, which is like, which is like Dean Coral, the, yeah, the candy man, because he would just have this new hobby of digging holes. Imagine telling people your new hobby is digging holes. And they're just like, yeah, you're not a serial killer. Go do you. So he just dig holes, bury pigs' bodies at night is what he did. And they said that the smell of the Pigton farm was their biggest problem. You could smell their farm from down the street. It was just so bad. So these new families just excited about this new home that they have. Now they're dealing with just rotting smells. What the fork is going on? Then the family starts a new business venture and they just start raking in more money. I mean, it was insane. So Dave, he was in the middle of demolishing this bar and he thought to himself, wait, instead of throwing away all of this bar equipment, why don't I why don't I start a bar with all of the stuff that they want me to throw away? So he stole literally the whole bar. <laughs> he stole like all the chairs, everything and started his own recycled bar. And he thought, OK, well, what should I call this? People love my party so much. We make so much money from these cockfights, from all of these ragers that we throw. Why don't why don't we start this crazy club? Let's call it Piggy's Palace. It's crazy that these siblings are so successful in yeah. a really odd way. Like, yeah, 
You know? Yeah, I know. It's so odd. It's like, like really their, enraging. Yeah, with their shitty situation, they're making so much money. So much money. And so they pretty much just started their own recycled bar using their old, like the old demolished bar stuff. They would, um, they got their good friend, Scott Chubb. Remember this guy? He's going to become important later. Scott Chubb to help run the show. They named it Piggy's Palace. Um, they started serving Willie's famous barbecue at the bar that they were charged for. They had insane parties. So they only had enough seating for 150 people. But practically every night there was close to like 1500 to 1700 people packed in there packed in there and willie was so excited willie thought finally this is gonna be the place that i meet my girlfriend like i'm gonna have a girlfriend finally all these other guys they have girlfriends but i don't so he decided to do a makeover on himself for the grand opening of piggy's palace he got new clothes new pair of jeans new shirt he even went to a company called hair club for men and bought a four thousand dollar wig four thousand dollars put it on himself showed up at opening night people were shook he still didn't get a girlfriend and it didn't last long because it didn't occur to Willie that you had to wash the wig. So it just became like matted on his head of just grease and oil and filth. And like they had to like scrub the wig off his head because it was just like stuck on him. Oh, he never took it off. Never took it off. Never washed it. Oh, okay. And so he finally had to like literally scrape it off of his head because it was just like matted onto his head with all the grease and all the oil. And just like, I just don't understand how he didn't even think to. (laughs) And their bouncer at Piggy's Palace was like a well-known cocaine dealer. A lot of cops came off duty. So that's like really cool. Love that. They registered their business. The cop came as customers or? As customers. Ah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think there was talks about how even city council members threw like massive parties there. You're like, what kind of town is this? It's actually an amazing town, except for the Pictons, you know? And every town has like their weird mix of people. They actually, um... (laughs) Suddenly, I'm like trying to move to Canada. Kidding. They registered their business as a nonprofit and they got approved for it. (laughs) They were an operating charity. Piggy's Palace (laughs) Good Time Society was a registered operating nonprofit. They said that it would be a charitable place where they would donate all the proceeds by throwing these crazy parties to charities. And it ran like that for five years. I mean, that's insane to me. People, you breathe once and the IRS is like, did you just breathe? Did you make money while you breathed? But Canada was like, good time society, Piggy's Palace. Yeah, nonprofit status. Here you go. They were making a shit ton of money just on admissions because you had to pay to get through the door. They Mm -hmm. would make at least $18,000 a night, sometimes $80,000 a night just on admissions. What's so good about it? Because it was like this hot spot for just wild. Mm. There was like no rules. Yeah, okay. You know, so like if other bars, you had to be out by a certain time, you couldn't over drink Piggy's Palace. No way. You could do anything you wanted. So this is around the time that Lisa moves. You know, Willie's best friend, Lisa, his only friend. She moves because she started getting uncomfortable with the bar. She worked there briefly as a bartender and she just saw a ton of dangerous people. Just Hell's Angels, other gangsters, just a lot of dangerous stuff went down there. She didn't really specify, but she just said it was it was creepy. And she took her kids and she moved out of town. She was like, I can't do this anymore. She was scared of the Pictons. So whatever she saw was that scary. 
Never disclosed. Yeah, he was absolutely devastated. But sure enough, Willie replaces her with a new friend, Gina Houston. These are all kind of important characters. There's a huge cast of characters and I'm trying to boil it down just to like the main pivotal ones. But Gina Houston, she was she was intense. People called her a con artist, a thief, a drug addict, a sex worker and a madam of a brothel. So she had a lot going for her. She claimed that she was not a sex worker, that she was just a con artist, because if sex conned a man into giving her his money, then she's a con artist, not a sex worker, which like I kind of see it, you know, and here's the part where I don't really like her. She became a pimp at one point, so she would supply drugs to the girls. She would rent out rooms for them, and then she would pimp them out. She really took advantage of other girls, and that's just like the shittiest thing you can do. And she saw Willie as a sugar daddy, as a long-term con. So she immediately was, you know, buddy-buddy with Willie. Ooh, and he was quite gullible, and her job was to bring back women for Willie. Now, she claimed she had no idea that he was killing a lot of these women. She just wanted to bring him some sex workers, like a finder's fee, like a recruitment fee. That was it. That's all she was doing. So there was a lot of tension between Gina Houston and Lisa. So Lisa, even though she moved away, she would still talk on the phone with Willie. And it was just, she felt like Gina was taking advantage of Willie. Mm-hmm. She, there was just a lot. And Gina knew it. Gina felt like Willie was in love with her. And he put her on this pedestal. He thought the sun shone out of her ass. That's what people said. He just genuinely loved Gina Houston. They talked about marriage. They talked about getting married one day and starting a family and having this white picket fence and all of that but everyone kept telling him you know she's using you willie she's using you for your money and he would not believe it he became really close with her kids gina houston's kids and he would buy them little stuffed piggies <laughs> really leaning into this pig farm theme okay he would buy them teddy bears and they would call him willie bears Just a lot of creepiness happening. Later on, Gina would actually tell people that they were engaged and she started calling herself Gina Picton at one time. So it just straight up seemed like he wanted his money. Now, Gina does remember a bad experience on the farm. She had walked into the slaughterhouse where they keep all of their freezers one day and there was this freezer that was never covered before, but today it was covered with this giant blanket over it. So she couldn't see into it, nothing. So she was like, what's that? What's going on with your freezer? Is it broken or something? And as she's approaching the freezer, he got in front of her, shook his head like a no, and she just backed out of there. And she never talked about that covered freezer ever ever again. She just knew something was bad, but she didn't want to get into it because she wanted her money, you know? She was in this for the money. She's not in it to know what's in the freezer. Now, Gina starts getting sneaky with these girls. The sex workers, the women on the streets did not like Gina. They they didn't like her. The ones who knew her tried really hard to make sure that Gina did not have access to these shelters because that's what she would do. This was her go to. She would find vulnerable women and she would ask them to come to the Picton farm because most of the women, they would decline. They would say, no, I've heard about the stuff that goes on in that farm. They wouldn't necessarily say that he's the one with th- that has to do with these disappearing women, but mm-hmm. they would say that he's creepy. He's smelly. He's just just nasty stuff happens on that farm. Not even just Willie Picton, but like Dave Picton and their crazy cockfighting business. They're ragers. No, I'm not going on that farm for no amount of money. Like I I'm trying to be safe here. But she would target women that were either new to the area or they just got out of rehab and just started working again and they were desperate for money or they were so addicted that they would be willing to do anything for drugs or they were going through withdrawal. So they were in so much physical pain that they were like, oh, my God anything to get rid of this physical pain i will do it 
And so she would target these women, which is just disgusting. And then in came another woman by the name of Dina Taylor. So she was another frequent visitor at the farm. It seemed more like a girlfriend than Gina. So Gina and Dina, they're both evil people in my eyes. Willie would use her to get other women to come to the farm because no one would come with Willie. But they would go with other women. Maybe you have wondered this. Maybe you look at the picture of me and you're like, okay, well, that's what she looks like. That's what she sounds like. But what does Stephanie smell like? Is she a mango? Is she a rose? Is she a pear? Is she a eucalyptus? I mean, these all sound amazing, right? What's your favorite out of those? These are just some of the amazing scents available with Function of Beauty's customized shampoo and conditioner. And I always smell like it. Well, most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> or kimchi and garlic. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes some kimchi and garlic. I feel like hair is important to a lot of people. You know, sometimes you want it to be voluminous. You want it to be long. Sometimes maybe during the winter, you want it to be moisturized. Function of Beauty is the world leader in fully customized hair care. They create unique formula based on a short but thorough quiz to give your hair everything that it needs to look and feel its best. So the cool part is that every product is sulfate and paraben-free, vegan and cruelty-free, and there are over 60,000 real five-star customer reviews. So don't just take it from me. Function of Beauty fans are absolutely wild about their fragrances. I love the mango scent for obvious reasons, but their peach is so sweet, their pear is so crisp, and they have even subtler scents like lavender, rose, and eucalyptus. And if you're one of the few people, my mom is like this, you don't like fragrance, you can actually go unscented as well. So turn your beauty routine into an aromatherapy session, a tropical getaway even with that mango scent and smell like me we'll be smell sisters so go to functionofbeauty.com slash rotten to take your quiz and save 20 percent on your first order that applies to their full range of customized hair skin and body products that's functionofbeauty.com slash rotten to let them know that you heard about it from here and to get 20 percent off of your order functionofbeauty.com slash rotten I mean, it just sounds like a dystopian society. Like all of these women are trying to protect other women from Gina and Dina because they're trying to take them out to the farm. Like they're like, don't go to the farm. Like this, this sounds crazy. So girls continue to go missing and the police continue to do absolutely nothing. And then we have the attempted murder of Tracy Buyan. Everyone knew who Willie was. She knew who Willie was and she was living in Astoria at the time, which is the hotel that he was constantly lurking at. And he was a famous client. He would just cruise around in his trucks. People knew him, but he was not a client of hers. So they just never really talked. And he drove by one day and he propositioned her which kind of surprised her because she had her own list of clients and he just wasn't a customer so he's like all right forty dollars for a blowjob get in the car she gets in and she said immediately the stench almost knocked her out she like wow that the smell of it was like barn animals that were rotting inside of his inside of his car his truck so imagine what his actual house smells like so she decides okay fine and he drives to his trailer they get inside worse absolutely disgusting clothes everywhere the kitchen had a sink it had this propane heater i mean just everything was a mess he's like let's go to the bedroom she had to dig her way to the bedroom like it was it was disgusting so they get into the bedroom they do their business and as she's getting dressed he starts claiming that he can't find his wallet and he pulls out a knife and he says you you stole my wallet She's like, no, I didn't. So he comes at her with this knife and he cuts two buttons off of her shirt, which I don't know if he was trying to slice her. I don't know what was happening, but two buttons pop off and she freaks out. She runs out of the trailer and he just casually comes up to her and offers to drive her back 
to Astoria. So she's like, okay, like, I don't know what happened. He just like accused me of stealing his wallet. I didn't. And now he's like, well, let me just drive you back. So they get into the car together. And while he's driving her back, he goes on and on and on about how he loves helping working girls. He loves helping sex workers. He loves helping them kick their drug habit. That was his favorite thing. But they only get one chance. They only get one chance. And if they go back to the dope, well, then they don't deserve to live. They're useless. They're better off dead. Which is weird. None of that makes sense. I mean, the type of girls that Willie was into were girls that were incredibly vulnerable. I mean, he was picking the most vulnerable, the ones in withdrawal. He would befriend them. He would buy them drugs. But then now he's saying that he would give them a chance to get clean. And if they couldn't, then they deserve to die. Like they don't deserve to live. I mean, just really odd stuff. And then there was a woman that is known by Sandra or Stitch. So her name was in a publication ban in Canada for the longest time. I think the publication ban has been lifted and you can technically find her name out there, but we're just going to call her. So her street name was Stitch is what she went by in a documentary that I watched. She was 35 years old at the time and she was addicted to cocaine and heroin. She was spending close to like three, four hundreds a day on these drugs, which meant that she worked hard. She worked hard as a sex worker and she was making you know good money she was on a methadone program to wean her off these drugs so they would inject her with it it would keep her calm and eventually it's like the road to recovery to be hopeful she had two kids she wanted to be there for them she was like trying to get her life back together she also loved gambling so that specific day that she had this encounter with willie she had lost 60 dollars, and she was in desperate need of money because her pimp would beat her up if she didn't make the money back so she starts going onto that road and around 10 to 11 o'clock at night this man pulls up in a car and he says well how much for a blowjob so she's like 70 dollars okay well how about like a little more how about you come back to my place in coquitlam and we'll do everything and she's like well that's that's really far from downtown vancouver no i don't want to i don't want to go to the suburbs and he was like well i'll give you more money i'll make it like a hundred dollars bring you back in one and a half hours by one o'clock in the morning how does that sound So she's like, whoa, okay, that's going to be all my money back. I'm not going to get beat up by my pimp. Yeah, okay, sounds good. So she gets into the truck and they start driving over. Now, immediately she asks him to pull over because she has to pee and they saw this gas station and he just like ignores her and just starts booking it to the farm just strange so they pull up and she said the same thing that i was saying which is it seemed more like a junkyard than a farm like he kept saying come back to my farm so she was thinking this is like a farmer dude and it's like this massive junkyard i mean just beat up wrecked cars everywhere they go inside of his trailer and she passed the kitchen on the way this is so important she said it was disgusting grubby dirty and she saw this large butcher's knife sitting on the table right and she was just like i mean I guess that's just really weird. They go into the bedroom. There is no bed, no mattress, just a sleeping bag on the floor and a giant clear roll of plastic. That is so alarming. Like the like the ones that you would wrap furniture in when you're moving it. Not like a, you Mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about? Not like saran wrap that you get at Costco. And so they do it. And after they have sex, she asks to borrow his phone. So she wanted to call her pimp or boyfriend at the time that was at the hotel. She's like looking for the hotel number in the phone book. And she just wanted to tell him that she's coming home. And like really sad. She wanted to tell him that she made the money back. So she was like excited. And as she's flipping through this phone book, 
she feels him just breathing next to her. So she's like, okay, weirdo, that's fine. He's going to drive me back. It's all good. And he grabs her left arm and just like caresses her left hand and then slaps a handcuff on it and is trying to reach for her right arm to completely handcuff her. But before he can get her right hand, she starts fighting back. She said she didn't know what was happening. She just thought about that butcher's knife on the table. So he's beating her up, punching her, trying to get this handcuff on her right hand. She's fighting for her dear life grabs the butcher's knife on the kitchen table slices him on the cheek and the neck and just kept swinging slicing and he kept screaming you fucking bitch you got me good kept punching her and then he finds a stick starts swinging the stick at her she finds a plant throws the plant at him i mean she later goes on to say i'm not gonna lie i tried to kill him which, by the way, the jury loved her, like the preliminary jury. They loved her because she was just so straight to the point. She was like, yeah, it was me or him. I, I straight was going for the jugular like I was going to kill the dude. Either he died or she died was the feeling. And she felt all this stuff running down her chest and she knew that it was blood. Later, we find out that she was stabbed four times, two times in the abdomen, one in the rib cage, one punctured her lungs and this massive cut on her left arm. So they both start blacking out because they both were stabbed multiple times like he got a hold of the knife he got a hold of the stick and they were just stabbing each other back and forth so eventually they start the fight outside of the trailer and he collapses on top of her and he just like is unconscious so she's like in and out of consciousness rolls him over runs out from the farm and this is a massive farm she felt like she was gonna die walking out of the farm like she was just gonna plop dead before she gets out of this like massive plot of land she goes to the neighbor's house starts banging on the windows i mean leaving bloody handprints all over it no one's home so then she sees a car drive by and this old couple they were driving by they stopped the car and the guy is driving and he immediately says don't stab us and she's like, what? Help me. And he's like, please don't stab us. And she realizes she's holding the knife. So she drops it and she's like, please help me. And that is when the woman sees that there's a handcuff on her arm. Mm. And that's when she's like, we got to help her because this is not a fall through a window. This wasn't an accident. Like something dark happened. So they get her into the back seat. Her intestines were coming out of her at this time. Whoa. And as they're driving away, Stitch says to the woman, miss, miss, look at your window. Do you see that little white car? If anything happens to me, if I die, that's where the guy lives that did this to me in that trailer. So they call 911 on their phone as they're going to the hospital. They meet the ambulance on the road because she's in dire situation. They take her immediately to the hospital. She's in emergency surgery. Meanwhile, the handcuff is still on her hand. And she's she's like kind of amazing because she's like telling the story. And she said, you know, I'm laying there and I'm telling the doctors to hurry the fuck up because I'm about to die. She's like, can y'all hurry? Like, I get it. Like, you have to do this whole procedure. But like, fucking I'm dying. <laughs> and they're just taking their time. So while they're working on her, the doctors find out that another stab patient is coming into the hospital for surgery and it was robert Picton. they find in his clothes in his pocket a small little key this isn't like a house key they're like hmm they go over to stitch and they unlock the handcuff oh with that key so they're like i mean come on this is this is it so the police get a search warrant for the Picton property and you think that the whole story ends here no 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 we're just beginning um no so his story after he wakes up is that she's a drug she's a druggie she's a sex worker he tr she tried to rob him i mean they they agreed on a hundred dollars but she found out that he had thirty five hundred dollars in cash she tried taking it this was all self-defense she started stabbing him first all of that 
And the police were like, well, I mean, it's still attempted murder. So we're going to charge you for attempted murder. So he goes back home after all of this to recover. And they actually have Lisa come over from out of town. And she starts cleaning up the blood because there was blood all over this trailer. And she said it was just weird. Something about it was weird. Just all of it was weird. And Willie kept begging her to find out where Sandra lived so that he could finish the job because he was pissed. He was pissed because all of the stabbing and the blood and the, the sex they had. He had hepatitis C. And now he was blaming it on her like a disease. He was like, this is all her fault. He also paid $150,000 for an attorney and a private investigator for the attempted murder charge and it worked because they scared her into not showing up she was terrified and he got off on it so he wasn't convicted he was just charged for it but he wasn't convicted but again this was a crazy story for all the women that were working because she was a familiar face for all these women this mm-hmm. was someone that they knew a lot of them were friends i mean this was one of their own they mm-hmm. were shocked that this happened to her and the rumors just intensified about what was happening on the farm like don't do it don't go to the farm be careful of willie that rat faced guy with a free dope you know that asks you to go to his farm don't do it so then all of these these workers, they're getting really, really onto the fact that Willie Pickton is just a weird dude. So Dave Pickton starts coming around, driving around, looking for sex workers. They get into the car because this is Dave Pickton. And they'll start talking to him. He'll offer them money. And then eventually he starts offering them a finder's fee. If you can find me a sex worker to take to the farm, it's for my brother. He wouldn't really mention who his brother is. He would just be like, it's for my brother. Now, some people were not familiar with Dave Pickton. You know, they just knew Willie Pickton. Maybe they didn't even know that they were related so they would just say oh okay like a finder's fee that's not that bad and then i'll be with them when we go to the farm yeah okay sounds good so renata was one of these women and she decided to introduce sherry irving she went with them and dave told her don't worry it's easy money my brother is older and he probably can't get it up anyway Wait, so she brought a woman? So both? Yeah, so Dave, Renata, um, a sex worker, brought her friend Sherry, another worker, to the farm to meet Willie. There's two women going? Yeah. Okay. So one was just like for the finder's fee. So Renata, it doesn't seem like she did anything with Dave at all. It doesn't seem like she did anything with Willie at all. She was just there to bring a friend for Willie. The fact that Dave was doing this is so odd to me. And so she gets there and this, this dude comes out and he looks just really nasty. It's Willie. And he just points at Sherry. So Sherry starts walking away and she turns around and says bye to Renata and Renata says for whatever reason it was just like this really strange feeling she felt like this was the last time she would see Sherry and this was the last time that she ever saw Sherry then we have another woman go missing by the name of Sarah DeVries. And like a ton of the victims, like I was saying, you know, the police kept saying that they're running away. They're working on a different country or like a different street. They're working at a different town, a different city. Don't bother us. Stop wasting our time. And families were shook because these are not the type of girls that lost contact with their families. A lot of them were actually still very involved with either their foster parents or their biological parents. Like they were involved with their families heavily. They actually found Sarah's journal after she went missing and she wrote about it wrote about all of the missing woman and she wrote am i next is he watching me like a predator does its prey waiting for the perfect time or spot for me to make a mistake how does one choose a victim good question if i knew that i would never be snuffed so she's talking about serial killer but not necessarily willie right she is she's talking about willie yes Because all these women are going missing. And she was terrified that she would be one of these women. And she kept writing about it. And Sarah is, I mean, she writes poetry. I have another poem I'm going to read at the end of this by her. 
It's amazing. Her poetry is amazing. I mean, she's so good with her words. She's so eloquent. And she actually had a ton of family, a ton of friends who were like, hey, she went missing. Police, are you going to do anything? And that is when a customer who who actually like fell in love with her. His name is Wayne Lang. He decides to start like this tip line, put up posters of her everywhere. I mean, he was desperately in love with her, really. And that's when he gets a call. He gets a call from a guy named Bill Hillcox, and he says that he was friends with someone who was really close to people on the farm. Her name's Lisa. Remember Lisa? Uh-huh. And he says, well, no, my name's Bill, and I have a story to tell you. I already went to the police about this, and the police won't listen to me. So maybe you will, Wayne, you know, friend of Sarah who went missing. In Willie's farm, they have women's clothing, just piles of women's clothing, piles of women's ID cards, women's stuff. Some of them have blood on them. There's blood on his farm, in his trailer. He has this super crazy industrial-sized meat grinder, which is never a comforting feeling. Uh, there's rumors that the food inside of his freezer is human. There's rumors that sometimes he he grinds human meat into the farm meat. So I don't know what's going on. Like, this is just what I know. This is what Lisa said. And Lisa also said that she just, um, she knew she had this feeling, this gut feeling that that's where all the missing women were going. So Bill Hillcox had told his friend Lisa, you got to do something about it. I get it. Willie's your friend, but you got to do something about it. And she says, nope, I'm not going to do anything about it. And he says, well, if you won't, then I will. So he went to the police and they didn't care. So they they talked to Lisa and Lisa was like, oh, no, like he's lying. So they don't have anything. It's just like a he said, she said, he said, she said. It's like really intense. Lisa also said later on that the reason that she lied, because think about it. You know, you have this gut feeling that women are being murdered. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you not say anything? And she said it's because she hates cops. She said, and I quote, you give a cop an inch and they take a mile. They twist the story 10 ways to Sunday and they blow it up. Then now you're sitting in a pile of shit that you didn't even say in the first place. And they're twisting it in your face, which like, I get it. You don't like cops, but people are going missing. Like that makes sense to me about like a traffic ticket, you know, like, you know, but women are good. And so they couldn't search his property because there was no eyewitness. Now, when Wayne hears about this from Bill, he's like, well, I'm going to go to the police. And so there was more pressure. Wayne started telling Sarah's family. Sarah's family started talking to other families. And there was a lot more just publicity that this entire thing was getting and police officers wanted to get the RCMP plus the Vancouver police. So I'm thinking like the feds. Mm-hmm. and the Vancouver Police Department all working together because there were so many jurisdiction issues that it was just so difficult to even investigate the Pictons, to even investigate these missing women. And the Vancouver Police, it didn't seem like they were doing anything with it. And they were just like, nope, we don't care that women are going missing. We're not going to work together. <laughs> like, this is my jurisdiction. This is my turf. Stay out of my zone. That's it. And a few of the police, they were really trying and they, the higher ups just did not care. A lot of them were interviewed to say that they they live with the guilt. They feel like they failed these women. They feel like if these women were from different walks of life, think about it. If these were just middle class women who went missing at this rate, there would be roadblocks. There would be protests. There would be curfews. It would be crazy. But nothing for these women. Why? They're still women. They're still people. Just because they have a different occupation, it doesn't make sense. So then another person comes forward later on, and his name is Andy Bellwood. Now, this Andy is a friend of Gina's, and he was super desperate. He was straight out of rehab, just wanted to get a job to get back on his feet, and Willie offered him odd jobs at the farm. So he starts working on the farm, and they grow super quick, like super, super close. Like, they were best buds. Willie seemed to really trust Andy. So about a month after him staying on the farm, Willie and Andy were watching TV. 
And Willie's like, well, let's go get a hooker. That's what he called them. He was like, well, let's go get a hooker. I was like, well, no, I don't, I don't really do that. Like, I know you guys do that on the farm, but I'm, I'm not really into it. Like, I'm just trying to get my life back together. And Willie's like, do you want to know what I do with hookers? I pick them up downtown. I tell them I have drugs and money. And then when I can convince them to get to the farm. And then he gets up and he gets on top of the mattress in Andy's room. And he starts kind of motioning in this like doggy style. So he's pretending that there's a woman bent over in front of him. And he's like caressing this fake imaginary woman's hair, like softly touching her hair. And he's saying, then I do this and then I'll just grab her left arm. And then he pulls out handcuffs, puts it on this imaginary woman's left arm. And then I grab the other one. And then as they're handcuffed, I start strangling them. And I say things like, that's a good girl. Things are going to be okay. Don't fight it. It's all going to be all right. As he's strangling these women. And then he asks Andy, do you know how much people bleed? You wouldn't believe how much people bleed. And then after they're dead, I take them out to the barn and I gut them. Pigs will eat anything. Did you know that? And whatever is not eaten by the pigs, I take it to the rendering plant. So I think Willie thought that Andy would be like, no way, that's so cool. Like, I want to try that. But Andy's just like, "Uh, cool. (laughs) You know, so he's just trying to like laugh it off. And then four days later, he gets taken in by a bunch of Willie's friends and they just beat him up brutally. Like he was practically dead. They beat him so bad. And they just he kept asking, why? Why are you guys beating me up? Like, I don't understand. I didn't do anything. And they told him that Willie said that you're stealing his tools. So it seemed like Willie had regretted telling him. So he genuinely Mm. thought that Andy was going to be all aboard. Like, yes, let's go do it together. We'll be like partners in crime, you know, but he wasn't like that. He was just like, what? So he gets on a ferry. He leaves. He's like, I'm not I'm never coming back. I mean, he said that he didn't know that Willie was a serial killer. He thought that if he killed someone, well, that's how the world works. You kill someone, you get caught. That's how it works. He's going to get caught. I think he was just really scared. Mm hmm. So then another woman comes onto the farm. And these are all very pivotal in his conviction. So Lynn Ellingson, she was a friend of Gina Houston's. But, but, so yeah. the guy who left, he never went He'll forward. come forward later. Later, okay. Yeah, after he gets arrested. So okay. then he's like, oh, he's in jail? Okay, let me tell you guys what happened to me. So then Lil, Lynn Ellingson, she was an addict. She was in need of help. And she started living on the pig farm. She was a friend of Gina Houston's. They were referred. She started working there. She started doing like these faxes. And she was getting paid a lot for doing just faxes for the farm work and this money really fed her addiction like she was amping up her drug usage so much more and finally one day Lynn and Willie they're talking and he says well do you mind coming to me downtown to get some sex workers because anytime I go by myself they don't want to get in the car Mm -hmm. like they don't want to come to the farm but if you come it'll be better and she's like well I don't really want to lure girls to your farm and he's like well come on like I'll buy you drugs so she's like okay fine so they go they get their drugs and they start propositioning girls on the street and at first they're scared and they ask Lynn well are you gonna go there and she's like yeah I actually live on the farm so they're like well okay as long as you're there I'll go And this one worker, she gets into the truck, they get their drugs, they get their alcohol, they go back into the trailer and Willie sits them down and they're they're all high except for Willie. And he says, "Okay, so which one first? 
So Willie and the girl, they go into his room and Lynn goes away and she starts doing drugs in a different room. And for some strange reason, she thinks that she hears a scream and she doesn't know she did, but she like hears something weird. So she walks towards Willie's room and nobody's in there anymore. So she's like, what? That's strange. She sees a light on in the slaughterhouse in the middle of the night, which like he doesn't really do that. So she's like, okay, that's strange too. So she starts walking towards it and she hears noises. And right when she enters the door, she is faced by seeing a woman hanging from the hook that you hang animals. There was blood dripping into a bucket. She just couldn't stop remembering that she had um, red nail polish on, just dangling in the slaughterhouse. And she was about to scream when Willie pulls her aside and makes her stand next to this woman that is now hung on this hook that's dead and is bleeding out now and says, if you ever say anything, you will be right beside her. And so he made her watch as he disemboweled her. But she didn't like look. She was like looking away. And the whole time she was so scared. She just kept saying, don't worry. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just here for drugs. So he didn't make her go away. Yeah. He continued. Because he wanted to scare her. Oh, wow. Into not saying anything. Because, you know, once you're that traumatized, I mean, can you really go to the police? Like, where's your proof? You know, you were high and all of that. Like, it, it's just so alarming. So the coverage finally starts getting more intense. Missing woman story starts getting coverage. America's Most Wanted started talking about it. They actually did a $100,000 reward for it for anyone because they kept thinking, oh, is this the next Green River killer? Because not, you know, long before Gary Ridgway was arrested for being the Green River killer, which I like just finished a book on it by Ann Rule. So good. I might talk about that case, but continuing on so the police start looking at men who were violent towards sex workers now they're getting the attention of everyone even the united states are like looking at canada like do you guys have a serial killer because this whole time it just seems like we do do you guys have one you know it was like this whole weird thing so they're like all right all eyes are on us we've got to start looking so they start going through this list and you know willie was one of these people because he was charged with attempted murder of a sex worker but technically he was only one out of 40 on the suspect list and if these people had come forward he would have been much higher he would have been like prime suspect number one but he was still just one of 40 and one of these women who was at these like because they were having these massive protests all through vancouver was a serena abbott's way and she went to these protests she she actually had to take time off of work because a bad client had brutally beat her she practically almost lost her life it was a really dangerous situation and she kept telling the police in the news because they were interviewing her they were like well how does it feel being a sex worker knowing all of these women are going missing how are you coping and all of these journalists are talking to her and she says that she has this sixth sense to get away from bad guys and after her experience where she almost was killed by a bad client she will never meet another bad client she actually will become one of willie's victims so lynn she sees this whole experience right at the farm of this woman literally being murdered. She is the only eyewitness to an actual murder and she freaks out. She leaves the farm and she tells one of her friends. Now this friend calls the police and tells them the whole story. They're like, I have a friend who saw a woman get butchered at the farm. Like you guys need to do something, but he wasn't credible. He was an addict. He was having issues with the chronological order of events. You know, they told him, okay, come to the police station. They were going to have the RCMP and the VP, the Vancouver police department. They were all going to 
sit down together and watch him tell the story because this was going to be like this joint task force if anything was going to happen. And the whole time that he showed up there, he just could not concentrate. He was high as a kite. His credibility was negative 5,000. It was so bad to the point that the officer that had begged all of these other officers to sit down and listen to this guy's story, he was so embarrassed. I mean, he put his career on the line and this guy just kind of flunked it. So that police officer is like, no, I'm going to track down Lynn. I'm going to track down the source, right? Mm -hmm. And he tracks Lynn down and she immediately comes in and without even being told a word, she's like, oh, you guys shouldn't even trust Ross. So that's the guy that came into the police. He's such a liar. He's like so high on drugs all the time, just immediately starts discrediting him. And they're like, we didn't even tell you who told us. So that's Mm -hmm. weird. (laughs) And she just denies everything, says, I didn't see anything. Now, the police try to get her to cooperate and they're trying to sympathize with her. They're like, we do autopsies, you know, we've seen pictures Nobody wants to go through that. You're traumatized. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to, you know, envision it again. You want to get as far away from that site as possible. We get it. And she just kept saying, yeah, it's just all yellow and gross. And they keep talking. And at the end of the day, I mean, she left because they couldn't charge her. They couldn't charge Willie. She just kept denying all of what her friend had said. But it stuck with the officer. Because after she left, they were like, wait, she kept saying that it's yellow and gross human fat is yellow Mm -hmm. and not most people would say that i mean some people might know that but you're not going to say that when you're i'm just bringing up autopsies you might bring up blood you might bring up oh yeah murder crime scene yeah blood everywhere but you're not going to say like yellow and gross about human fat like that's very specific Mm -hmm. so they begged her they called her back and they begged her for a lie detector test but she just like disappeared now she had a reason to disappear because lynn was actually blackmailing willie at the time she was getting like ten thousand dollars a month saying hey i'm not going to go to the police but you need to like feed my drug habit you need to you know pay my rent all of that and willie starts asking people about killing lynn so he starts asking people and his whole mo about killing lynn was to inject her with antifreeze because she's already a druggie if there's needle marks on her no autopsy technician is really gonna really gonna care because she's already a druggie and it's gonna kill her they're gonna say it's an overdose and who's gonna miss another woman on the street that's what he kept saying and all these guys were like well i'm not gonna do it this was two years before his arrest If Lynn had cooperated, he would have been arrested two years earlier. 11 more women would disappear on the farm. So I get it. I get Lynn scared, but I don't get it because, I mean, people are dying. Come on, do better. They do, however, try to put Willie under covert surveillance. So they've got some police officers in unmarked cars following him. But he's smart. He's not doing anything strange. And they actually spot a woman in Willie's truck. So they pull him over. Turns out it's Gina Houston's 13-year-old daughter. And they completely blew their surveillance. Because now he knows that they're following them. So he's not going to go downtown. He's not going to do anything suspicious. He goes under the radar. At one point, he actually walks into the police station and tells them, I don't know why you guys are following me. If there's missing women, I have nothing to do with it. They interviewed him for six hours and he said, you guys can even come over and have a drink once. So the police, they go over the same week and there was nothing in plain view in the trailer. So it's just another dead end. They didn't have a search warrant. They couldn't just like go over for tea and start like digging around in his cabinets. You know, they can't do anything. 
So then they start going through other leads. There was a guy named Barry Thomas who was assaulting sex workers, investigated for all the missing women. There was Robert Yates, an American who was arrested for murdering sex workers in Washington state. So they were thinking maybe he came to Canada. The Green River Killer, they said that he had been in Vancouver at one point. So they're like, did he have some, you know, victims in Vancouver? Is it all someone new? Like they were just all over the place. So they start a task force called Project Even Handed. And there was even an audit done about the first task force about the missing woman. And it showed that there was only like one or two officers and they had like no record keeping. So how can you spot a pattern of missing woman if you don't have records? That's the whole thing about patterns. So mm-hmm. they were just like, I mean, I guess mi- people are missing. That's the vibe I'm getting, but we don't have the record. So how can we? So they start getting valuable information from the actual team that worked on the Green River team in Washington for Gary Ridgway. And they start getting all of these profilers involved and some officers we're still being absolute assholes about it. I mean, the mayor came out onto TV and said that there's no way there was an active serial killer. And the families were upset because in Vancouver, in a suburban part, they had given a $100,000 reward for a series of break-ins and home invasions in a nice neighborhood. Like, no one was murdered, no one was missing, just your garage was broken into while you were home. They took some, like, stereo equipment. $100,000. So these families are like, why not for our daughters? And the mayor said, because because there are no bodies, a lot of these women change their names, maybe move to a new town. I don't think it's appropriate for a big award for a location service. Wow. Location service. Wow, wow, wow. So the officer, like I said, there's only a couple good ones. The officer that had interviewed Lynn, I mean, it's like eating him up about the whole, oh, it's so yellow and gross about the human fat thing. So he asked his boss, hey, I'm working a different unit now. I'm not even on the task force for these missing women. But do you mind if I pay Willie an unofficial visit? And so he said, yeah, go ahead. So he meets him at the farm and Willie was not phased at all. He just like spun this crazy story and said, oh, yeah, Lynn and all of these people, they're trying to blackmail me. I gave them jobs when they needed it i you know i try to get them out of drugs but they they're trying to get all this money from me because i'm I'm a millionaire even though i'm just a farm dude i'm a millionaire and they want my money and so afterwards they shake hands and this officer says it was the wettest limpest grossest thing he has ever felt willie's hand he just couldn't even describe it he said it was like the creepiest thing he had ever felt in his life was willie's hand like just a simple shake that's creepy that's creepy so creepy yeah and the fact that he went out of his way to like talk about this why is his hand so limp i don't know aren't you supposed to be fern to butcher pigs and stuff it seems like he's like like i said like that tall lanky just not tall but like that lanky rat face like just weird with his high-pitched voice everyone talks about and he just i mean he felt like it fit the profile he's this quiet polite but messy living everything that the profilers were saying that the serial killer would be it just like fits him perfectly but then things kind of died down again because it was like the summertime and there was not as many people going missing so everyone thought to themselves maybe the serial killer is gone maybe they're dead maybe they're already in prison because why are they taking a hiatus But the people who knew, they knew. Willie loved to kill during the holiday season. So some people say that it's because the farm has a schedule. So during maybe the spring summer months, it's a lot busier. And then spring or wintertime, it slows down. But it also seems that he gets really lonely during Christmas. He hates Christmas. He talked about it once. He said that he hates it so much because there's not even sex workers on the streets on Christmas Day. They're all with family. They're all in the shelters, you know. They're all like enjoying their time not working. 
but he he's completely alone so one time uh, during christmas he was so upset that he was alone that he got two pigs released them into just like the city and they got so scared. The pigs were running around just like terrified. And all these police officers came out on Christmas Day frantically trying to catch them. And he thought it was hilarious. And then he said that the next year for Christmas, he wanted to release bats into a fancy hotel in Vancouver. He was going to rent a tuxedo and release a bunch of bats into the, bats into the elevator shafts just to cause chaos for people. And he was really sad about that. So then more stories start coming out about Willie, even though, you know, the police are kind of dying down on their search for Willie. More people start talking. There was a woman by the name of Katrina Murphy. She was hitchhiking after visiting her husband in prison. And he gets she gets into his car, says it smells disgusting, like rotting meat. And she kept mentioning her husband. But once Willie found out that he was in jail, he said, well, he won't miss you if you don't come home tonight. And she kept saying, well, no, he's going to miss me. He calls me every single night. Like, don't be crazy. <laughs> My husband has friends on the outside like she was trying really hard and then she realized this is like a ted bundy moment because there are no handles on the inside doors just willie's door so she panics and he sped past their little drive-off spot like the part that they had agreed on that she'd be dropped off so she starts searching in her purse casually just like oh, i'm just looking for some gum she grabs a pencil stabs it into him and starts pressing her knuckles into his eyeballs and she he stops the car and she dives on top of him and opens the door face first into the cement, bleeding everywhere, runs away. And she looks back to see if he's chasing her. And he is standing outside of his van, just laughing. So she runs to the nearest gas station and the police get there. They take her statement and they just like leave. They don't even take her home. So an old guy working at the gas station offered to take her home. And thankfully, he was nice. Thankfully, he's not another Willie. But um, yeah, she was like driven home. But imagine the police don't take her to the hospital. They don't get her treated. They're just like, OK, thanks for your statement, ma'am. Bye. And then Jeez. there was another woman. She gets into Willie's car with a couple of her friends. It was $100 to go back to the farm. And she said that the smell was so bad. Now, for her, she has really bad asthma. So she started having an asthma attack because of the smell. Was that bad? And she starts, like, just choking on air. And she begged to be let out because she, like, needs fresh air, right? And uh -huh. he said, okay. But first, he punches her in the face. And then he opens the door and just pushes her out of the car wow and again this was not reported to the police now the police are having a dead end people are getting mad the community starting to talk um a lot of different countries are starting to talk about it which put a lot of pressure on canada because uh, of course like when it's like the international scene it's like a lot so um they're like we gotta find this serial killer people keep saying it's a serial killer it's not a serial killer but we need to have some sort of logical answer because if we don't everyone's just saying oh my god serial killer right and they have no leads no tips and out of nowhere by sheer luck by sheer coincidence not police work they get a tip so remember scott chubb the guy that was working for piggy's palace the guy that was pretty close to the picton brothers and he actually owed eleven thousand dollars in child support and his the mother of his children was getting pissed off so she called the police on him he gets arrested for not pay paying his child support and while he's in the cop car to these random cops he's like well, I my rent's due. Like, I heard some people are, like, paid informants. Can I be, like, a paid informant? I know a lot of people. I know a lot of, um, I can rat people out. I'm not scared to be a rat. I know people who are, like, growing marijuana. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we don't really care about that. And he's like, cocaine? I know cocaine dealers. They're like, no, we already caught so many cocaine dealers. Like, we're fine. We don't need another one. And he's like, what about, like, illegal firearms? I know people who have illegal firearms. 
And that's when they perked up. They're like, illegal firearms? I mean, that's a pretty good charge, right? Who has illegal firearms? He's like, well, I have this friend, Willie. Um, he lives on a farm and he lent me a gun that was like illegal and there was bullets in it. There, it's not registered. It's illegally owned. I, I know where he keeps it. I know where he keeps a bunch of illegal guns. It's in his laundry room. Can I be paid for that type of information? And they were like, you only get paid after we find, you know, the things in their house. Like, if we go to their house, do a search warrant, there's no illegal firearms, we're not going to pay you. And he was like, no, 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 I promise you. Where was this when I was working? Okay. If you guys have an FSA account, there have been so many talks in the back rooms where me and my coworkers were like, are we taking advantage of all the benefits of working here? What about your FSA account? What does that even mean? If you guys have an FSA account, chances are you're not taking full advantage of it. Trust me, because I didn't. So many people are unaware of how many everyday purchases are covered by their accounts. Everything from cold and allergy medication. Yes, prescription glasses tampons and pads, acne treatments, sunscreen, and so much more is covered. It's trusted by millions of Americans. FSAstore.com is the largest site with thousands of exclusively FSA eligible products guaranteed. So whether you guys have questions about your accounts, want recommendations on products, or assistance with your orders, FSAstore.com's trained professionals are available 24-7. Because sometimes you just want to ask some questions. So with 24-7 expert customer service, fsastore.com is everything flex spending with zero guesswork, no receipts necessary. So head on over to fsastore.com and use the code ROTTEN to get a one-time discount of $15 off your order of $150 or more. That's fsastore.com, code ROTTEN. So when they go back to the station and they start talking to fellow police officers, they're like, wait, did he say Willie Pickton? Because we've been trying to search his place for a really long time. He might be associated with those missing women. Mm -hmm. So they're like, what? Call Chubb back. Scott Chubbs. So they're like, call Chubbs back. So he comes back in and he's like, yeah, no, I mean, he's a crazy dude. And they're like, tell us more about Willie. He's like, one time he asked me, he said he would pay me a thousand dollars to go inject antifreeze into a hooker. That's how he called them. Okay. Because she was, she was getting all this money out of him. I mean, he was pissed. And he said that if I just inject some antifreeze, no one's going to know. They're not even going to do an autopsy because she has so many needle marks and it's just going to be categorized as an overdose. So they're like, what? <laughs> what? So all of this is starting to add up, right? And they're like, okay, well, we're going to ask the judge for an illegal firearms search warrant and they get one. So they had about an hour to administer this warrant. They go in and they start searching his trailer. So they start knocking, they start peeking around and they knock his front door. Like I said, he had two doors. So he pops out of the other one, makes eye contact with these police officers, slams it shut and tries to lock them out of the trailer. So they ram the door down and they immediately arrest him. And the investigators, they said that they immediately started gagging. I mean, bugs and poop everywhere. It was disgusting. But they had to go with their search. So the police find they find the gun over the washing machine in a box and they don't really look at it too much because that's not what they're here for. They're here to dig around. If they, if they can find anything that leads Willie to the missing woman, they can get a another search warrant that can cover the whole property that's mm -hmm. what they're there for they're not there for the gun who cares about that gun so they start going into his room they find a pair of handcuffs they find several pieces of woman's jewelry a flare gun another pair of handcuffs some of them with blood on them several large cable ties two dildos a nightstand on his bedroom floor had a box of kitchen knives in different sizes 
books and papers with Heather Bottomley's name on it, which is a missing woman, an inhaler for Serena Abbott's way, another missing woman, lots of women's clothing, lots of women's IDs, like even like birth certificates. Oh, my God. And the reason is because a lot of the time sex workers carry everything with them because they don't necessarily have a home. Wow. So he just had all of this inside of their house. He had a glass jar with women's hair and hair ties. They found syringes filled with antifreeze. They found syringes filled with antifreeze. He had tons of disgusting sex toys. He had one called Miss Lady Flexible Multi-Speed Stimulator, a box labeled G-Spots on it, lube. In Dave's office, they found like a full-size blow-up sex doll. On Willie's desk, they found an inflatable blow-up pig that was known as a fuckable pig. That's what everyone on the farm called it. Uh, Just like a blow-up pig, but you could essentially do it, I guess... (sighs) Which is like so normal, I guess. If you don't have a fuckable pig, you're doing something wrong. There was an envelope full of teeth. So they took a picture of everything. And finally, they're like, okay, search warrant's about over. We just need to get the gun. And then we need to go apply for like the full search warrant. When they open up the box with the gun in it, they realize that there's some like plastic wrapping on the revolver. And they open it up fully. They take a look at the gun. And they realized that he had pulled over a curved plastic dildo over the barrel of the gun so the gun he had put a dildo on top of it where the bullets would come out the gun was loaded with five bullets one shell casing was used and either that is how they he killed someone it did have a missing woman's dna on it but the idea they thought was that he raped them with the gun to install like make them feel incredibly fearful I don't know if this was the method of, you know, anyone's cause of death, because by the time that they find these women's bodies, I mean, there was barely anything left, but there was DNA on it to show that there was something going on there. So they get a full search warrant for the entire property. And this search was insane. They had to break down the investigation into different sites, different sites. They had police patrolling the perimeter. They actually eventually got a card swipe machine because, I mean, the defense is going to, Willie Pickton and his lawyers are going to look for anything that the police do wrong to get him out of this charge. So they had uh, like one of those metro card swipe stations for every police officer. They had to have a card to check in. You can only come in with access with a card and each card, you only had a site that you could go to and you were doing a specific job. Everything had to be organized to a T. And we're talking about like 17 acres here. It was insane. The fire department had to bring in tents, lights, generators. They they actually brought in hundreds of students at colleges that were studying anthropology that would know how to excavate a site. And they were working under forensic anthropologists who were um, going through looking for human bones. Wow. They had to have on-site therapists and counselors for the police officers. So right now, everybody basically knew what happened here. But they don't have any. They couldn't charge him with murder yet. Is that not crazy? So during most of this, he was being surveilled by police, but he was a free man. He got out on bail for the illegal firearms, but Mm -hmm. he was just walking around. They needed proof, and the IDs was not proof enough. What? Because you could say, you know... So they needed like something like a human bone, something to say this was a murder that happened. Mm -hmm. And um, they knew they immediately knew that they would have to dig up the soil to the undisturbed level. Like this is going to be a lot. They had to create grids of soil and they would get these like conveyor belts and they would sift through the soil. Then the students would have buckets that they would put all the bones in and then they would take it to a tent where they would distinguish between animal bones and then human bones. And then the human bones would be DNA tested. They all had to wear hazmat suits because... 
there was so much diseases in the air because when you just like bury carcasses like that, I mean, you could get infected with, I don't know, just a whole bunch of nonsense. It was insane. I mean, the press was having a field day. They knew that there were talks about a serial killer, but they were kind of expecting a situation like like the toolbox killers, like a man in a truck that kidnaps women from the street, you know, not a fucking farm. They no. were not expecting. And then once that settled into everyone, that's when everyone was like, the scope of this thing is about to be insane because people called it the perfect place to kill someone, an isolated farm. With mm-hmm. all this heavy machinery, you already have a slaughterhouse filled with, you know, uh, blood everywhere. And then Price got word of the stitch incident where he literally a woman was running from his property, naked, handcuffed, stabbed with her abdomen falling out. Like it was just insane. And then word got out that Willie Picton is a millionaire and then things got even crazier. And they called in Bob Stair, who is a well-known retired RCMP officer. And he was a former coroner for British Columbia. And he had searched for excavation of human remains in several war-torn countries and helped ID remains in the 9-11 attack. So he was really good at this. And he formulated a team to go through all of these bones now the press at the front gates the families are there no one's getting any news i mean the police were so tight-lipped about this which i understand but these families these poor families and there was one instance where they've been out there for days just trying to get a look into the farm trying to understand what's going on and one reporter sees a shoe and they're like look a shoe and it was just dead silence all the cameras are zooming in on this shoe and after a couple minutes everyone's looking around feeling stupid because they're like just a shoe like what is happening to us you know they had reporters come in from the united states just everywhere which by the way there was so much tension because canada has like publication bans that the u.s does not respect at all so there are so many cases in canada where canada is like hey you can't publicize their names and then the u.s is like all right let me put it online (laughs) so there was just a lot of tension with that the parameters of the search i mean it was Really bad. 14 acres, not including the new houses or the park or the elementary school that the farm had originally had access to. But they decided not to search those areas later on. So they would search everything. Everything not including the ground. So they still had to search every part of the ground. Dig into the ground. But talk about all the cars, the machinery. There was Willie's trailer, the slaughterhouse, the motorhome, the mechanical shop that had a loft upstairs. They had a garage, a workshop, and a barn, and the original Pictum farmhouse. Those were just the buildings that were on the 14-acre property. And the pigs were not in great condition. I mean, they had to have vets come in. A lot of them had to be euthanized. There were dead pigs all over the place. Like, these pigs were living in some of the worst conditions they had ever seen before. They were not taking good care of these pigs at all. The slaughterhouse, the hook that you hang the animals on, was tested positive for human flesh and human blood, as well as animal blood. The freezers inside of the slaughterhouse, it took them two days to get to the freezers. There was so much junk in the way. They couldn't even open a freezer without like getting. And also, I mean, I guess Willie would have done it differently. But the police, they have to log evidence. They have to make sure there's nothing, you know. So it took them two days. Once they get to the freezer, they see these buckets. And inside were the vertically cut, hollowed skulls of two women. And inside of these hollowed skulls were their hands and feet. So he had cut the skull open in half put their hands and feet in there and then closed it, put it into a bucket, just like the Jane Doe skull that was found at the river. And there was like another human head just like sitting in the freezer, not in a bucket where the pigs were kept and where they ate. They found another woman's jawbone and other pieces of bone. 
So it does seem like he was feeding the pigs human remains. And it took them years to search this property. Two years, I believe. What? It was so bad during the preliminary hearing. So finally, he was arrested for at first two murders because they found evidence of two people, right? Yeah. And then eventually, as it went on, it led up to 27 victims. But the belief is that there are much more, especially, I mean, they couldn't even search the rendering plant. Yeah. So they found 27 victims and each victim, they only found bits and pieces Maybe a tiny piece of bone here, a tiny tooth here, a little bit of blood DNA here. That was about it. I mean, there were a ton of remains. So the way that he disposed of the bodies, the thought is that he would treat them like his animals. A lot of the same injuries that the victims had were the same as what the pigs would have. He would have hung these women by their ankles, by their tendons. He would drain their blood into a bucket, take out the intestines and organs, feed some to the pigs, and then the actual bones that people would recognize, right? Like skulls, hands, feet. You can't really say that's a, that's an animal, right? Sometimes leg bones, you can pass it off as like an animal, maybe arm bones right but those are very identifiable like that's a human he would either bury them he would um put them in buckets i guess or take them to the rendering plant and the ones to the rendering plant are the ones that you never yeah discover that's it and he would mix in some of the pig or the human meat with pig meat and sell that or cook it for their rager parties that they would have he would dispose of it he would feed it to the pigs just a lot so imagine how many people in that town has consumed so that is they let out a report and they did a public safety announcement that was like hey this is what happened but nobody knew the degree of cross-contamination because we're not only talking about the soil so dave was taking soil that might have buried remains to other farmers dave was contaminating soil on its own so dave is contaminating canada by himself and then we have willie going to the rendering plant turning human remains into cosmetics essentially and then we have meat being sold we have these pigs that are eating the meat then being slaughtered and then being sold it was just so much contamination yeah and also what's up with dave does he know what's going on so i mean that's like the public opinion that he must know if anything he might even be a ringleader or heavily be involved but he yeah. was never arrested for it because he for sure bought a yeah person there mm -hmm. maybe he just didn't care it's just weird i'm on huh. the f i feel like dave knew for sure yeah, like the fact that the woman keep missing and then they use this butcher room. I yeah, don't know. it's weird. And so the DNA testing was insane. So they actually asked a lot of the family members to give DNA or they would give toothbrushes or hairbrushes to get the DNA from um, women that didn't have close family members. They would go to uh, the women's shelter. They would do pap smears there to make sure the health of their like the vaginal health was good mm -hmm. so they would take dna from pap smears overall two hundred thousand dna samples were collected six hundred thousand evidence from the crime scene was taken 70 million dollars on the search itself just excavating the property but the trial would cost another 100 million jeez so 170 million dollars went into this he would later tell the police that he felt like princess diana because he was getting no. so much negative media attention and he just felt like it's just like a lot like i'm princess diana willie picton is princess diana <laughs> <laughs> 
He said that they were nailing him to the cross. He loved giving the same old sob stories about how he's just a little farm boy. Just a little farm boy. Life is tough. He's worked his entire life. He's all about that farm life. Dave is the bad one, he kept saying. He is the type that if he needed money, he would ask his parents for 50 cents. But not Dave. Dave. Dave would say that he needed $2, even if he just needed 50 cents. Sometimes he would talk about how he slaughtered 42 pigs in one day. While he was talking to a police officer once before he got arrested for the murders, because he was just out on bail and being surveilled Mm -hmm. he talked about how well you guys might find legs and they might look human but but they're not human and she just kept saying but they're gonna come back as human aren't they and he kept saying no no but if they do i'm screwed huh willie come on they're gonna come back as human what animal could it be then what animal really even has human legs you don't have animals like that on the farm and he kept saying they're not human but what if they do come back human? Like, it was like this weird conversation. And then eventually he was like, they're ostrich legs. And that was the end. Um, have you seen ostrich legs? Yeah. And so finally, February of 2002, Willie was arrested, 51 years old. And he actually refused to shower before going forward to a judge. Because he said that they didn't have a bath and he only took baths. He would later tell someone, I have rights, don't I? Because he only takes baths, not showers. And they only offered him a shower. So he was arrested first for two counts, then four, then six. And then it graduated, uh, you know, to 26. Gradually over time, they would add more charges. Even during the preliminary hearing, they would come in and be like, hey, judge. So we found remains of another female. And they'd be like, OK, so now we got to change the writing. So now what, what are we at? Like while the preliminary hearing was happening. But he was suspected of at least 49 murders. Why 49? This is not a random number. He will tell us it's not. So the police interrogation, they tried really hard. He kept acting stupid and um, he just he kept saying, this is so strange. How can this happen to me? I'm just a farmer boy. He tried to blame some of the clothes and ID and inhalers on the fact that he bought 150 junk cars a year. They were filled with junk. They were filled with women's clothing. The dildo on the gun, that was just a silencer for the gun. I didn't I didn't have a silencer and I didn't want to wake people up. So I just put a dildo on it to like silence the sound of the gunshot for when i shoot pigs not humans they're like well why does it have a woman's dna on it mona wilson's a woman who literally went missing and we found other parts of her dna all over your trailer Mm -hmm. well i don't know (laughs) okay and uh, finally after like 11 hours he was interviewed for 11 hours not a peep the police officer said, frankly, you've got more zip in you than I do. Meaning like you are zip tight. Like you're not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Why not give me everything? He said, why should I do that? For the families, they need to know. Not my problem. Shit happens. He's evil. So the police decide we got to go harder with him. And I think that this is like Canada's favorite thing to do, which is like sadly it works. But it's a cell plant. Remember Jeremy Stank? with his little inmate in the car that was a police officer that was like fucking yeah i kill people and jeremy mm-hmm. was like oh yeah me and my old lady right well they did the same thing to him they planted someone in his cell that was an undercover cop that was pretending to be an inmate and they just like kept riling up willie they were like you're a legend man you're the pig man everyone's talking about you and so willie gets excited about how famous he's becoming he's like yeah you know you know what they're saying so you know how my town is called port coquitlam now they're saying pork coquitlam <laughs> <laughs> and the inmate's like mm-hmm <laughs> that's so good that's so funny <laughs> and he's like yeah the whole fucking world knows about me all the way to hong kong to like everywhere 
And he's like, that's so cool. He like complained about how they only offered him a shower and not a bath. And then he got compared to OJ. And that was the only time that Willie shut up because he was like, OJ, who's OJ Simpson? And he's like, well, OJ Simpson, you know, that's what happened in America. And then he's like, what's happening to him now? He's free. He's like, he's free. And he like got excited. Oh my god. So then one day, Willie, after another interrogation, he's like eating food, right? And looks nasty. The the video is on YouTube if you want to watch it. His like What video? Of him talking to his cell cell plant. It's been released. Secret recorded? Yes. Oh my god. And like he knew there was a camera there, so I don't know what is wrong with him. So he's like eating this like nasty prison food. It looks really nasty. And he's like talking about how many you killed. The inmates talking about how he's a killer and he just looks at him and does a five zero motion like a five fingers in the air and then uh-huh. a full zero right 50 and he says five no and then he does it again and the cell plan goes 50 yeah and he says no fuck you're you're which by the way cell plans i swear to god these undercover cops they're like how do i be an inmate just say the f-bomb every two seconds he's like fuck you're fucking full of fucking you're shitting fucking me like he was doing the most and he was like you're you're shitting me that's crazy um well i i threw my people in the ocean do you know what happens to people in the ocean the ocean does things to people there's not much left and willie looks at him and says I did better than that. And he walks over to him and he whispers straight into his face, which like I can imagine the smell, a rendering plant. And he starts saying, only I was kind of sloppy at the end too, getting too sloppy. They got me because I got too sloppy. I was going to do one more, make it an even 50. That's why I was so sloppy. I just wanted one more, make it the big 5-0. And the sale plant is like literally out of words. So he's like, five oh five zero. this half a hundred, this fuck like he was just like cool cool man and he starts bragging about how he's bigger than the ones in the states he was like yeah they say i'm bigger than the green river killer yeah gary ridgeway i'm bigger than him that was the plan you know do 50 take a break for a while and then i was gonna do another 25 then that would be 75 and then another 25 100 (laughs) and he's laughing and he's like 49 man i almost made it almost made it i haven't done 50 yet you know the pigs are baffled and he's like, the pigs? Your pigs on the pig farm? And he's like, no, the cops. The cops are pigs. <laughs> the cops like, fucking pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Those cops. <laughs> Those oink, oink cops oinking around. Just <laughs> What do they even do? They don't even talk to killers. They don't even do their job. Like, Get me out of here. <laughs> like, freaking out. He's, I'm sure he's freaking out. And he's like, well, they nailed me to the cross. You know, I'm definitely going down now. Something about DNA evidence. But if I go down... I'm taking 15 other people with me. So this is the part that drives people insane because nobody else was technically, you know, charged with these murders. Yeah. But I mean, it seems like there's got to have been people involved. He said, I'm taking 15 with me. Yeah. So I feel like there were definitely people who knew about it. Definitely people who had witnessed it. Maybe some men who also partook in it. Maybe some women who knew that he was killing these women still lured them to the farm. Just think about it, right? He told one of the guys Mm -hmm. he did the whole motion on the bed so bluntly he his best friends right yes. old best friend knew about it so he's not hiding these things yeah. he's just kind of telling these to these criminals exactly and a lot of them didn't do anything right so yeah, yeah i believe it but uh, no one else gets charged or convicted 
I don't think, okay, some people speculate that Dave is the ringleader and all of this and Wendy, Will, <laughs> Wendy, Willie is taking the fall for it, but I, I doubt that one. I think yeah. Willie's forked up, but I do think that his brother knew. I think that there were other people who took part in it and he fell asleep before he said, that's bigger than the Green River. Just one more. Which is technically false because the Green River Killer was convicted of 49, but he confessed to 71. But it seems it's weird. I don't think he was motivated by these serial killers. I think it just came up in conversations and he just felt really good about it afterwards. Mm. Like sick and twisted. So the preliminary hearing, all of these people testify. And the whole defense, their main strategy was to just bring up the fact that, hey, how can you testify against someone when you're a sex worker and you were high on drugs? But it just didn't work. Like the jury was not having it. So the, the trial decided or the judge decided they call it the crown, which is fancy. Yeah, mm. like how we would call it the court. The Crown decided that there was going to be two different trials for him. And the first trial would only be for six of the murders. And then the second trial, they would try the other 20. And this caused so much outrage because everyone knew there wasn't going to be a second trial. Let's be real. So he would be tried for the first trial for the murders of Serena Abbott's way. They found her inhaler there. She was born to indigenous parents. She grew up with foster parents. She had a long history of sexual abuse and physical abuse. She started coping with drugs. And she, you know, like a lot of women, er, gravitated towards downtown. And her brother said, Serena did not choose to live the life the way she did. Circumstances chose it for her. She had a really rough upbringing. And, um... She started sex work. She had a life-threatening injury. A client had beat her so badly, like I said. She was in a coma with a fractured skull. She had a steel plate put into her head. She returned back to work, started going to church, and she loves singing hymns. She wanted to be baptized. And everyone who knew her said that the Lord was beginning to do his work and beginning to touch her life. And these health conditions started getting worse. In 2001, she was on several medications for asthma. And um, she was supposed to visit her foster parents soon for her birthday at the end of August. But that's when she disappeared. And they started freaking out. She actually also wrote a poem about all of these women around her disappearing. And she said, you were all part of God's plan. He probably took most of you home. But he left us with a very empty spot. And then Mona Lee Wilson, who was the youngest of five children in an indigenous family. When she was six, CPS found her beaten and scared in the hallway of an apartment building. She was placed in a youth treatment center, foster care, and they actually moved her to a farm and she was loved and cared for. And she started to really trust people and like just be a child. She had never been a child yet. And she was kind of a tomboy by nature. She loved animals. She actually loved going to school. She hadn't gone to school yet since she was six because her parents weren't taking care of her. So she loved even just going to school. But the foster parents believe that in her teen years, the memories of the sex abuse started really tormenting her and she started looking for some relief in drugs and she started working downtown. She wanted to kick her habit. She started looking for detox centers actually around the time that she went missing. She um, started finding rehabs, but all of the affordable ones never had extra space. So she kept getting turned down. Andrea Joseberry, her grandparents said that she was the cutest, most stubborn, most opinionated, kindest little girl. Her dad went to jail for beating his wife and his children. And when he got out, Andrea was just so desperate to have a relationship with him. He wiggled his way back into her life. And so from that point, when she was 16, she met this 30-year-old man. And he kept telling her, I love you. I love you. We're going to get married and have this beautiful life together. And that's what she wanted. She just wanted this beautiful family. She gets pregnant. She tells everyone that they're going to get married. And she moves in with him. And all of it was a lie. She gave birth to a baby little girl. And turns out that the 30-year-old man was a pimp and a drug dealer. And he had a bunch of children 
heroin from a bunch of other women that he was selling on the streets. So his goal was to get her addicted to drugs and to sell her, but she refused. She wanted to be there for her child. She's like, I'm not doing drugs. No way. Then one day, social services came up and just snatched the baby out of her arms. It's speculated that 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 man called them because he wanted the baby adopted because that wasn't part of his plan. So that shattered her life and she ended up turning to drugs under the influence of that man. And she went on to try to do methadone treatments and that's when she failed to show up. Her doctor was like, nope, this is so unlike her. She's really trying to get clean. She would have shown up. So he, she, the doctor called the grandpa right away and the police just did not care. Then we have Brenda Ann Wolf, who is an indigenous woman, worked at the hotel as a bartender and a bouncer. She was so well-loved in the community. The girls loved her. They said she stuck up for girls whenever they were in trouble. She's the type that would take on two to three men if they were causing any of her friends trouble. She's like, Mm-mm, you're not doing this. She would help any other woman for nothing. She had this beautiful smile and she had this beautiful son as well. And she was ready. I mean, she had given him up to have a better life for him and she cherished him. She was ready to like get her life back on track. And then and her friend Maggie actually said that when Brenda disappeared, she was so distraught that she checked herself into rehab and she had never done drugs since then. So she feels like Brenda saved her life. Then we have Marnie Lee Frey. Marnie's mom um, was a beautiful indigenous woman and they had this really beautiful family until Marnie's dad found out that Marnie's mom was dabbling in drugs. And so that kind of led to divorce and there was just a lot going on. The mom became completely addicted to drugs. When Marnie's seven, she starts like living and like bouncing away from house to house from different relatives. But she was always known to be a happy kid regardless of everything. She was lively. When she was 14, she hung out with the wrong crowd, got hooked on drugs and it led to her arrest. And it, there's just like this vicious cycle that kept happening she had a baby that her parents were looking out for that was her pride and joy she would call them four times a day to check up on that baby even when she was working she tried so hard to detox but um there was this really bad man called dr j got the best of her i mean he's a really bad guy he was a pimp that was ruining the lives of a ton of women there and just kept forcing her to do drugs and the family went to the police and they said she's missing we're sure of it and the police told them don't get upset she's probably on a cruise so these were the story was shared during the trial. Yeah. And if you read the book on the farm, I mean, it's a massive book, but it goes so in depth. It's so good. It's so good. Then we have Georgina Faith Pappen, an indigenous woman. She was the mother of seven children, and she actually had just given birth to twins a few months prior to this. She had eight siblings, and everyone loved her. They said her face glowed. She was rambunctious. She drew really well. She wove these beautiful dream catchers, made these beautiful beaded jewelry. Everyone said that she had to have been an artist. Like, she could sew strips of leather together to just make these like insanely crafted beautiful moccasins that were nice enough to sell everyone was like you gotta do this you gotta you gotta start selling your art when she was in a woman's prison for like really stupid charges she would start writing songs that the prisoners would still sing to this day prisoners who had never met her before they loved her songs she was wow. just amazing you know and she had a rough childhood she was in and out of foster care and she was last seen at the astoria hotel with willie Picton. That would be the first trial for the first six women. And then the second trial would be for 20 women. We've got Jacqueline Michelle McDonald, who's 22 years old. She was considered an intelligent and outgoing girl. She loved reading everything from novels to newspapers. She would read everything. She got pregnant at 18, trying to figure out her life. Um, just like a lot of these other women, she fell in love with a guy who was addicted and wanted to take advantage of her. And she also was a really caring mom. Then we have Diane Rosemary Rock, the mother of five children. She was adored by like anyone who met her. 
She got pregnant young, met a lot of bad guys, but was trying to get her life together for her children. Then we have Heather Kathleen Bottomley, who was cute and lively. She made friends super easily. She did really well in school. She came from a loving family, but she too fell in love with an abusive guy who got her addicted to drugs. She was only 24 years old. Jennifer Lynn Firminger, an indigenous woman who was adopted at two years old. She was considered a bright and happy kid, but in high school, she was confused. I mean, she had this really dark skin and she felt like, wait, why am I the only one with dark skin? Why, why was I adopted? Like, why was I abandoned by my birth parents? Do they not like me? Is something wrong with me? And it just really pushed her to the wrong crowd. Then we have Helen May Hallmark, who was a cheerleader growing up, super popular. Everyone considered her worldly. They said it felt like she knew a world out there that other people didn't know existed. Her smile was contagious. Then Patricia Rose Johnson, who was considered fearless and strong, a gentle heart. And her mom was a single mom that had a life filled with trauma that she just couldn't provide like the stable childhood that Patricia needed. And then Heather Chinook, who people remembered her being like a straight up person. They said, if you want good advice, you go to her. She was a mother of two and she loved her kids dearly. We have Tanya Holick, who was super sweet, had a ton of energy, like full of drive. And she fell into this um, cycle of just really meeting the wrong people. She had um, a bunch of restraining orders on very, very scary people. And she was last seen headed to a Halloween party on the farm. Sherry Irving, this is the one that Renata brought to the farm for Willie Mm -hmm. and felt like something was off. She was always considered just like fun and outgoing and with a smile that could melt people. Then we have Inga Monique Hall, born in Germany, came to Canada at four years old. Very little is known about her, but she is a 46-year-old mother. Then we have Tiffany Drew. She's beautiful, took care of herself, had a really hard childhood, alcoholic parents, shy and reserved. But at this point in time, before she disappeared, she was trying to get her life together and her sister was helping her. Then we have Sarah DeVries, who wrote the poem in her journal. You know, her friend Wayne was helping. She was... She was black, indigenous, Mexican, and white. And everyone said that she captured everyone's attention. She was considered beautiful, but because she was so intelligent. If you had a conversation with her, she just engaged with people. She engaged with the world. Like it just, she was in tune with everything. And then we have Angela Rebecca Jardine, who from the beginning, she had birth complications. She had, um, I believe, a speech impediment. She was bullied her entire life. She couldn't cope. Her parents put her in the system and she found it just really hard to manage life by herself started keeping in touch with her parents recently and they had plans to actually spend christmas together and she was really excited about it she actually volunteered a lot at women's shelters and then cynthia felix who was abused by her own father she had lots of obstacles in life but she was always known to be really kind diana melnick she loved horses very happy she was remembered by her high school friends to be such like a very normal teenage girl just like gossiping about boys excited about like dances coming up that was her thing and this is really depressing she she was due at court because her mom's will there was like this whole struggle between her dad and her mom like everyone was fighting huge lawsuit two days so she was supposed to be at court Mm -hmm. and she was due to inherit millions of dollars from her mom's estate she never showed up because she was a victim of willies she could have changed her life around really Jane Doe, the one found at the river, the charge would end up being lifted, and to this day, she has not been identified. 
Deborah Lynn Jones, 43 years old at the time when she went missing, a talented musician with a great voice. She played guitar and the piano, and her dream was going to Nashville. <laughs> and then we have Wendy Crawford, who had a hard childhood growing up. She got into drugs as a teenager. She was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and she was just really in a tough situation, but she never abandoned her kids, her kids or her family. She always gave her entire welfare to help her children. That was it. And her sister said something that I think is so powerful. Yes, my sister sold her body on the streets trying to feed her children. But what about the other participant in this act? Are the men who keep their goods standing in society? Are they not prostitutes as well? Just saying, I mean, it takes two. Carrie Kosky, famous spile. Everyone said that she could have been a TV anchor. She was just so put together, but she fell in love with someone who was incredibly abusive. And then her next boyfriend hung himself in front of her. And then another one got her addicted to heroin to take the pain away. And she went to Christmas with the family. And that is when she decided, okay, I'm going to check myself into rehab and I'm going to quit. But she disappeared soon after. Andrea Faye Borhaven, 25 years old, high-spirited. Life at home was unhappy, but she always tried to be adventurous. Then we have Kara Louise Ellis, who had been working since she was 13 years old, and she had troubled teenage years, never lost touch with her family. They all adored her. She kept her family laughing, even though they knew that she was going through like the hardest times. She was smart, thoughtful, spent hours writing in her journal. Those are the women who will never have their day in court. Those are the families who will never have their day in court. So this absolute shithead pled not guilty for the first trial of the murder of the six women as listed. And um, here's what's even shocking. The jury found him guilty for second degree murder. So he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole in 25 years. To be fair, he's not going to get out on parole. I mean, I'm pretty sure of it. Like, I wouldn't bet my life on him. He's still alive. He's alive. This was in 2002. Well, the trial was in like 2004, 2005. Wow. Yeah. But, so um, he's in his 70s. Yeah. Holy cow. He like wrote a book. No. But um, they like tried to sell it on Amazon and then the, um, Amazon blocked it eventually. It was like this whole thing. But yeah, he's alive. And then August of 2010, they said that there will be no future trials for any of the other women. Now, Canada, they did an internal inquiry into all of this, a national inquiry, and they realized that this was grossly mishandled. The police did not do their best to solve these cases. And then December 8th of 2015, they realized that there was also another inquiry on the disproportionate amount of indigenous women who go missing. So I have a bunch of things linked in the source notes, but there's this documentary called Finding Dawn, which is kind of related and kind of not related. So if you guys are sick of, you know, Willie Picton as very little to do with him but still about the missing indigenous woman because that's not the end they said that they were going to work on this because canada has a massive problem the murder rate of indigenous women is like six to seven times higher than just the national murder rate of just non-indigenous women in canada is they there are a just, reason for that? Yes, because the police do not care. So when indigenous families mm. report their family members as missing, the police do not do anything. They just tell them that they're going to turn up. There's actually a highway in Canada that is a 430-mile stretch that's called the Highway of Tears because that is where the murder and kidnappings of uh, many indigenous women take place. There is literally no files on missing indigenous women at this time. Like, there was, like, none. So the police, you know, they're not keeping files. These criminals, they're like, well, I want to murder someone. I want to sexually abuse someone and then murder them. Who do I go for? Do I go for this woman who's going to have 20 files on her and the police are going to look for her? Or do I go for someone that I can, I know that the police don't care about. You're going to go for the, the person that the police for some reason do not care about. So 
I'm going to end this very long, very depressing Picton podcast with another poem from Sarah DeVries. Well, she had two. There was one that was just a line of, will they remember me when I'm gone or will their lives just carry on? And this is her poem. A woman's body found beaten beyond recognition. You sip your coffee, taking a drag of your smoke, turning the page, taking a bite of your toast, just another day, just another death. Just one more thing you so easily forget. You and your soft, sheltered life. Just go on and on. For nobody special from your world is gone. Just another day. Just another death. Just another Hastings Street whore sentenced to death. And this was before she was a victim of Willie Picton. So... (laughs) That is today's really intense story. I'm going to leave a lot of um a lot of things in the source notes. This book is really good. There's um a lot of documentaries that are also really good. I know it was really long, sorry. I hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you guys for the mini sode. Bye.